introduction and foreword of bashan and i this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by david wales bashan and i by thomas mann translated by herman george schaefer introduction and foreword introduction this is perhaps the finest study of the mind of a dog ever written the author is a famous austrian novelist a great stylist and a man of extreme delicacy and subtlety of mind he studies bashan with such insight and describes what he learned with such art that one feels that no one can ever again penetrate more deeply into that charming wistful mystery the mind of a dog and his feeling towards mankind Forward it was during the war that thomas mann one of the great modern stylists wrote this simple little idyll as a refuge and relief it was a flight from the hideous realities of the world to the deeper realities of nature from the hate and inhumanity of man to the devotion and lovableness of the brute this delectable symphony of human and canine psychology of love of nature and of pensive humour struck the true note of universality a document packed with greater potencies in this direction than the deliberate idealistic manifestos of the pacifists it is for these reasons that the book has acquired a permanent charm value and significance not only beyond the confines of the war and the confines of the author's own land and language but also beyond those of the period in every land there still exists the same friendly and primitive relation between man and the dog brought to its fullest expression of strength and beauty in the environment of the green world rural or suburban simple and unpretentious as a statement by francis de sisi yet full of a gentle modern sophistication and humour this little work will bring delight and refreshment to all who seek flight from the heavy-laden hour it is moreover one of the most subtle and penetrating studies of the psychology of the dog that has ever been written tender yet unsentimental realistic and full of the detail of masterly observation and description yet in its final form and precipitation a work of exquisite literary art end of introduction and foreword chapter one of bashan and i by thomas mann this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter one bashan puts in his appearance when spring which all men agree is the fairest season of the year comes round again and happens to do honour to its name i love to go for half an hour's stroll in the open air before breakfast i take this stroll whenever the early chorus of the birds has succeeded in rousing me betimes because i had been wise enough to terminate the preceding day at a seemly hour and then i go walking hatless in the spacious avenue in front of my house and sometimes in the parks which are more distant before i capitulate to the day's work i long to draw a few draughts of young morning air and to taste the joy of the pure early freshness of things standing on the steps which lead down from my front door i give a whistle this whistle consists of two tones 
a bass tone and a deeper quarter tone as though i were beginning the first notes of the second phrase of schubert's unfinished symphony a signal which may be regarded as equal in tonal value to a name of two syllables the very next moment as i go on towards the garden gate a sound is heard in the distance a sound at first almost inaudible then growing rapidly nearer and clearer a sound such as might ensue if a metal tag were to be set clinking against the brass trimmings of a leather collar then as i turn round i see bastion curving in swift career around the corner of the house and heading for me full tilt as though he intended to knock me over his efforts cause him to shorten his underlip a bit so that two or three of his lower front teeth are laid bare how splendidly they gleam in the early sun bashan comes straight from his kennel this is situated behind the house under the floor of the veranda which is supported on pillars it is probable that after a night of diverse and unknown adventures he had been enjoying a short morning doze in his kennel until my two-syllabic whistle roused him to swift activity this kennel or miniature hut is equipped with curtains made of coarse material and is lined with straw thus it chances that a stray straw or two may be clinging to bashan's coat already rather ruffled up from his lying and stretching or that one of these refractory straws may even be left sticking between his toes this is a vision which always reminds me of the old count moore in schiller's robbers as i once saw him in a most vivid and imaginative production coming out of the hunger tower with a straw between two of his toes involuntarily i take up a flank position to the charging bastion as he comes storming onward an attitude of defence for his apparent intention of lunging himself between my feet and laying me low is most amazingly deceptive but always at the last moment and just before the collision he manages to put on the brakes and to bring himself to something which testifies to his physical as well as his mental self-control and now without uttering a sound for bashan makes but scant use of his sonorous and expressive voice he begins to carry out a confused dance of welcome and salutation all about me a dance consisting of rapid tramplings of prodigious waggings waggings which are not limited to that member which is intended for their proper expression but which demand tribute of his entire hindquarters up to his very ribs furthermore an annular contraction of his body as well as darting far-flung leaps into the air also rotations about his own axis performances which strange to say he endeavours to hide from my gaze for whenever i turn towards him he transfers them to the other side the very moment however i bend down and stretch out my hand he is brought suddenly with a single leap to my side there he stands like a statue with his shoulder-blade pressing against my shin-bone he stands aslant with his strong paws braced against the ground his face uplifted towards mine so that he peers into my eyes from below and in a reverse direction 
his stillness whilst i passed his shoulder and mutter friendly words breathes forth the same concentration and emotion as the preceding delirium he is a short-haired setter if you will not take this designation too sternly and strictly but with a grain of salt for bashan cannot really claim to be a setter such as are described in books a setter in accordance with the most meticulous laws and decrees he is perhaps a trifle too small for this for he is somewhat under the size of a full-fledged setter and then his legs are not quite straight but somewhat disposed to bend outward a condition of things which would also be scarcely in accordance with the ideal of a simon pure breed the slight disposition to dewlaps or wattles that is to those folds of skin about the neck which are capable of lending a dog such a dignified expression becomes him admirably though it is certain that this feature would also be objected to as a flaw by implacable experts on breeding for i am told that in this species of dog the skin should lie close and firm about the throat bashan's colouring is very beautiful his coat is a rusty brown in the ground colour striped with black but there are also considerable mixtures of white these predominate on the chest the paws and the belly his entire nose which is very short seems to be painted black this black and rusty brown makes a pretty velvety pattern on his broad skull as well as on his cool ear-laps one of his most edifying external features is the whirl tuft or tassel into which the white hair on his chest twists itself and which sticks out like the spike on certain ancient armour to be sure one of his rather arbitrary glories the colour of his hair might also appear a dubious point to those who rate racial laws higher than the values of personality it is possible that the classic setter should be monochrome or decorated with shaded or toned spots and not like bashan with tiger-like stripes but the most emphatic warning against classifying bashan in any rigid or iron-clad category is a certain drooping manner of the hirsute appendages about the corners of his mouth and the underside of his jaws features which might not incorrectly be designated as a kind of bristling moustache and goatee features which if you will rivet your eye upon him from near or far will remind you of a griffin or an airedale terrier but what odds setter or pointer or terrier bashan is a fine and handsome animal look at him as he leans rigidly against my knee and looks up at me with a profound and concentrated devotion his eye ah his eye is beautiful soft and wise even though a trifle glassy and protuberant the iris is a rusty brown of the same colour as his coat though it forms only a small ring in consequence of the tremendous expanse of the black mirrors of the pupils on the outer periphery the colour blends into the white of the eye swimming in it as it were the expression of his face an expression of reasonable cheerfulness proclaims the fine masculinity of his moral nature which is reflected physically in the structure of his body 
the vaulted chest beneath whose smooth supple and clinging skin the ribs show powerfully the drawn-in haunches the nervous clear-veined legs the strong and well-shaped paws all proclaim a brave heart and much virile virtue proclaim peasant blood hunting blood yes there can be no doubt of it the hunter and the tracker dominate prodigiously in bashan's education he is a bona fide setter if you must know even though he may not owe his existence to some snobbish bit of blue-blooded inbreeding and this perhaps is what i would imply by the rather confused and unrelated words which i address to him whilst patting him on the shoulder-blade he stands and stares listening intently to the tone of my voice he finds that this tone is full of accents which decidedly approve of his existence something which i am at pains to emphasize in my speech and suddenly with an upward lunge of the head and a swift opening and shutting of his jaws he makes a snap towards my face as though he intended to bite off my nose a bit of pantomime that is obviously meant to be an answer to my remarks and which invariably throws me backward in a sudden recoil laughing as bashan well knows he intends this to be a kind of air kiss half tenderness half mischievousness a manoeuvre which has been peculiar to him from puppyhood on i had never observed it in the case of any of his predecessors moreover he at once begs pardon for the liberty he has taken by waggings short abrupt bows and an embarrassed air and then we pass out of the garden gate into the open we are now invested with the sound of rushing and roaring as of the sea for my house fronts almost directly on the river isar rolling rapidly as in the famous lines by campbell and foaming over flat terraces in its bed we are separated from it only by the rows of poplars by a strip of fenced-in grass which is planted with young maples and an elevated road which is fringed by great aspens giants which conduct themselves in the same bizarre manner as willows and snow up the whole region with their white seed-bearing fluff at the beginning of june upriver towards the city i see a detachment of pioneers practising the building of a pontoon bridge the thudding of their heavy boots upon the boards and the shouts of their officers echo across the stream from the farther bank there come sounds of industrial activity for yonder at some distance downstream from the house there is a locomotive plant working under increased pressure in accordance with the times the tall windows of this great brick shed glow through the darkness at all hours of the night new and beautifully lacquered engines hurry to and fro on their trial trips a steam siren occasionally lets its heady howl be heard a dull thunderous pother makes the air quiver from time to time and from the throats of several stacks the smoke creams darkly forth this however is driven away by a kindly disposed wind towards the distant tracts of woods so that it seldom rolls across the river thus in the suburban semi-rural solitude of this region the whisperings of contemplative nature mingle with those of human activity over all lies the blank-eyed freshness of the morning hour 
according to the daylight saving law the time might be half past seven when i take my walk in reality it is half past six with arms crossed behind my back i stroll through the tender sunshine down the popular lined avenue barred by the long shadows of the trees from here i cannot see the river but its broad and even flow is audible there is a soft whispering in the trees the penetrating twittering fluting chirping and sob-like trill of the songbirds fills the air under the moist blue heavens an aeroplane coming from the east a stark mechanical bird with a roaring voice now swelling and now softly ebbing away steers its independent way across the land and river and bashan delights my eye with beautiful leaps at full length to and fro across the low fence of the grass plot to the left bashan is jumping because he actually knows that i take pleasure in his jumping often by means of calls and knockings upon the fence have i encouraged him in it and praised him when he had fulfilled my wishes and now too he comes after almost every jump so that i may tell him that he is a daring and elegant fence falter at which he also ventures a jump or two towards my face and beslobbers my thrust out defensive arm with the slaver of his mouth these exercises however he likewise intends to be a kind of gymnastic morning toilette for he smooths his ruffled coat by means of these athletic movements and rids himself of the straws which had disfigured it it is good thus to go walking in the morning the senses rejuvenated the spirit purged by the healing bath and long lethean draught of the night you look upon the day that lies before you regard it with strong serene confidence but you hesitate lazily to begin it you are master of an unusually free and unburdened span of time lying between the dream and the day your reward for the good use you have made of your time the illusion that you are leading a life that is constant simple undissipated and benignly introspective the illusion that you belong utterly to yourself renders you happy man is disposed to regard his case or condition of the moment be this glad or troubled peaceful or passionate for the true essential and permanent aspect of his life and above all is in fancy inclined to elevate every happy extempore to a radiant rule and an unbreakable habit whereas he is really condemned to live by improvisation from hand to mouth so to speak so drawing in deep breaths of the morning air you believe in your freedom and in your worth though you ought to be aware and at heart are aware that the world is holding its snares ready to entangle you in them and that in all probability you will again be lying in bed until nine to-morrow morning because you had got into it at two the night before heated befogged and full of passionate debate well so be it Today you are the man of sobriety and the dew-clad early hour the right royal lord of that mad hunter yonder who is just making another jump across the fence out of sheer joy that you are apparently content to live this day with him and not waste it upon the world you have left behind you we follow the tree-lined avenue for about five minutes 
to that point where it ceases to be a road and becomes a coarse desert of gravel parallel to the course of the river we turn our backs upon this and strike into a broad finely gravelled street which like the poplar lined road is equipped with a cycle path but is still void of houses this leads to the right between low-lying allotments of wooded land towards the declivity which bounds our river banks bastion's field of action towards the east we cross another street of an equally futuristic nature which runs openly between the woods and the meadows and which farther up in the direction of the city and the tram stop is lined with a compact mass of flats a slanting pebble path leads us to a prettily arranged dingle almost like a kurgarten to the eye but void of all humanity like the entire district at this hour there are benches along the rounded walks which enlarge themselves here and there to rondels or to prim playgrounds for the children and to spacious plains of grass on which are growing old and well-formed trees with deep pendant crowns revealing only a short stretch of trunk above the grass there are elms beeches limes and silvery willows in park-like groups i find great pleasure in this carefully groomed park in which i could not wander more undisturbed if it were my own it is perfect and complete the gravel paths which curve down and around the gentle sloping lawns are even equipped with stone gutters and there are far and pleasing glimpses between all this greenery the architecture of a few villas which peer in from both sides and form the background here for a little while i stroll to and fro upon the walks whilst bashan his body inclined in a centrifugal plane and drunk with joy of the fetterless unlimited space about him executes gallopades criss and cross and head over heels upon the smooth grassy surfaces or else with barkings wherein indignation and pleasure mix and mingle he pursues some bird which either bewitched by fear or out of sheer mischief flutters along always a few inches in front of his open jaws but no sooner do i sit down upon a bench than he comes and takes up a position on my foot it is one of the immutable laws of his life that he will run about only when i myself am in motion and that as soon as i sit down he too should become inactive the necessity for this is not quite obvious but to bashan it is as the laws of the medes and persians it is quaint cosy and amusing to feel him sitting upon my foot and penetrating it with the feverish glow of his body a sense of gaiety and sympathy fills my bosom as always when i am abandoned to him and to his idea of things his manner of sitting is a bit peasant-like a bit uncouth with his shoulder-blades turned outward and his paws turned in irregularly in this position his figure appears smaller and stockier than it really is and the white whirl of hair upon his chest is thrust into comic prominence but his head is thrown back in the most dignified manner and redeems his disregard for a fine pose by virtue of the intense concentrated attention it displays it is so quiet that both of us remain absolutely still 
the rushing of the water reaches us only in a subdued murmur under such conditions the tiny secret activities in our immediate world take on a particular importance and preoccupy the senses the brief rustling of a lizard the note of a bird the burrowing of a mole in the ground bashan's ears are erected in so far as the muscular structure of flapping ears admits of this he cocks his head in order to intensify his sense of hearing and the nostrils of his moist black nose are in incessant and sensitive motion responsive to innumerable subtle reactions he then lies down once more being careful however to maintain his contact with my foot he is lying in a profile position in the ancient well-proportioned animalistic idol-like attitude of the sphinx with elevated head and breast his thighs pressed close to his body his paws extended in front of him he is overheated so he opens his jaws a manoeuvre which causes the concentrated cleverness of his expression to pass into the purely bestial his eyes twinkle and narrow to mere slits and between his white and strong triangular teeth a long rose-red tongue lolls forth End of chapter one Chapter Two of Bashan and I by Thomas Mann. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two: How We Acquired Bashan. It was a short, buxom, dark-eyed young woman who, with the help of her equally sturdy and dark-eyed daughter, keeps a hillside tavern not far from the Bavarian mountain resort called Tolts who acted as go-between in the business of our making Bashan's acquaintance and then acquiring him that is over two years ago and he was only half a year old at the time anastasia this is the name of mine hostess knew that we had been compelled to have our percy shot he was a scotch collie a harmless somewhat weak-minded aristocrat who had been visited in his old age by a painful and disfiguring skin disease and that for over a year we had been without a faithful guardian she therefore rang us up from her perch in the hills and told us that she was boarding a dog who was sure to suit us to a dot and that he was to be seen at any time the children coaxed and urged and as the curiosity of their elders was scarcely less than their own we all sallied forth the very next afternoon to climb the heights where anastasia's tavern lay we found her in her roomy kitchen which was filled with warm and succulent vapours there she stood with her round bare forearms and her dress open at the throat with her face rosy and shiny preparing the evening meal for her boarders whilst her daughter busily but quietly going to and fro lent assistance we were given a pleasant greeting and the fact that we had not postponed our visit but had come to attend to business without delay was favourably commented upon in answer to our inquisitive glances rezzy the daughter steered us toward the kitchen table here she bent down placed her hands upon her knees and directed a few flattering and encouraging words under the table 
there tied to a table leg with a frazzled rope stood a creature of whom we had until then been unaware in the smouldering half-light of this kitchen it was a vision however which would have induced any one to burst into peals of pitying laughter there he stood on long knock-kneed legs his tail between them his four feet close together his back arched he was trembling it is possible that he was trembling out of fear but one had the impression that it was due to a lack of flesh and fat for the little apparition before us was a mere skeleton a chest with a spinal column covered with rough hair and supported on four sticks he had drawn back his ears a muscular manoeuvre which of course immediately extinguishes every gleam of intelligent cheerfulness in a dog's physiognomy this effect in his still so childish face was so extreme that it expressed nothing but stupidity and misery as well as an insistent plea for consideration there was also the fact to consider that the appendage which one might now call his goatee was at that time still more developed in relation to the rest of his face something which gave to the aggregate woebegoneness of his appearance a trace of sour hypochondria we all bent down to address comforting and coaxing words to this picture of misery anastasia from her post in front of the stove mingled her remarks with the rapturous and pitying exclamations of the children and retailed information as to the personality of her boarder his name she declared in her pleasant and even voice was for the time being lux he was the son of most respectable parents she was personally acquainted with his mother and as for his father she had heard nothing but good of him lux was born on a farm at huffling and it was only owing to special circumstances that his owners were willing to sell him so cheaply for that reason they had brought him to the tavern in view of the lively traffic there they had come in a small wagon and lux had gallantly trotted the whole twenty kilometres between the hind wheels she had at once thought of us for she knew we were looking for a good dog and she felt certain that we could not help taking him if we could decide upon taking him at once it would be a fine thing all around she was sure that we would have great joy of him and as for him he would no longer be alone in the world but have a cosy berth and she anastasia would cease to worry about him we ought however not to be prejudiced against him because of the faces he was now making he was a bit cowed at present and not sure of himself because of the strange surroundings but we would soon see that he had a fine pedigree that his parents were excellent stock yes we objected but it was clear was it not that these parents of his had not been well matched oh yes they had and both of them were a fine breed too she anastasia would guarantee that his points were all good he was also unspoiled and very moderate in his demands something which was worth a good deal in such lean times as these up to the present he had supported himself entirely on potato skins she suggested that we take him home first on probation as it were we were under no obligation at all in case we did not like him she would take him back and return the small sum we had paid she was not afraid to say this not afraid that we might take her at her word 
for knowing us as she did and knowing him too both parties to the bargain she was convinced that we should learn to love him and never think of ever giving him up again she said a good deal more in this vein quietly glowingly and amiably the while she negotiated things on the stove with the flames at times shooting up magically in front of her and finally she came herself and with both hands opened lux's mouth in order to show us his fine teeth and for some mysterious reason also the rosy and riffled roof of his mouth upon our asking with professional air whether he had already had the mange she replied with a slight show of impatience that she did not know and as to his size when he had finally stopped growing well she declared with a smart promptness this would be exactly that of our deceased percy there was a good deal more of talk to and fro a good deal of warm-hearted encouragement on the part of anastasia reinforced by pleas from the children and a good deal of half-conquered irresolution on our part we finally begged leave to be permitted to consider the matter for a short time and this was graciously granted us and so we descended to the valley thoughtfully rehearsing and ruminating upon our impressions that bit of four-legged misery under the table had naturally captured the hearts of the children and we grown-ups attempted in vain to smile away their lack of taste and judgment we too felt a tugging at our hearts and realized all too clearly that we should be hard put to it to banish the vision of the unfortunate lux from our memories what was to become of him if we turned away in contumely into whose into what hands would he fall a terrible and mysterious figure arose in our fantasies the knacker in his flaying house from whose loathsome attentions we had once saved percy by means of a few chivalrous bullets from the rifle of a gamekeeper and the honourable burial place we had given him at the edge of our garden if we were minded to leave lux to an unknown and possibly ghastly fate we should not have been so careless as to make his acquaintance and to look upon his childish face with a goatee but now that we were aware of his existence a responsibility seemed laid upon us which we could dispute only with difficulty and with forced half-hearted denials thus it came about that the third day following saw us once more climbing up that gentle spur of the lower alps it was not that we had already decided upon the acquisition of lux but we saw that things being as they were it was not likely that the matter would have any other outcome this time we found anastasia and her daughter sitting opposite each other at the kitchen table and drinking coffee between them in front of the table sat he who bore the preliminary name of lux sad as he is still accustomed to sit to-day his shoulder-blades twisted like a yokel's his paws turned in under his worn leather collar there was a little nosegay of wild flowers which decidedly augmented his appearance and lent it something festive like that of an enterprising village youth on a sunday or the bridegroom at a country wedding the young hostess who herself made a neat and pretty appearance in her peasant costume with its laced velvet bodice had furbished him out in this fashion in order to celebrate his entry into his new home as she put it 
and mother and daughter both assured us that they had been absolutely certain that we should come again to fetch lux and that they knew that we should come to-day thus all further controversy and debate proved to be impossible in fact precluded almost before we had entered in her own pleasant way anastasia thanked us for the purchase money which we handed to her and which amounted to ten marks it was clear that she had imposed this price upon us more in our own interests than in hers or those of the farmer folk who had lux to sell that is she felt that it was necessary to give a positive computable value to poor lux in our eyes this we understood and gladly paid the tribute lux was detached from his table leg the end of the rope handed over to me and thus we passed over the threshold of anastasia's kitchen our procession attended by the most friendly wishes and congratulations it was however not a triumphal procession which proceeded on the hour's march towards home with our new household companion the less so since our bridegroom soon lost his nosegay it is true that we read amusement and also mocking and derogatory depreciation in the glances of the people we met the opportunities for which became multiplied as we made our way through the market-place longitudinally to cap everything we soon discovered that lux was suffering from a disorder of the bowels apparently a chronic one something which forced us to make frequent halts under the cynical eyes of the townspeople we formed a protective circle and hid his internal misery from rude eyes and solemnly asked ourselves whether it was not after all the mange which was thus displaying its most sinister symptoms but this anxiety was uncalled for as the future proved to us for we soon saw that we had to deal with a sound and hardy constitution which has proved itself proof against plagues and distempers up to this very moment as soon as we reached home the servant-maids were called forth so that they might make acquaintance with this new addition to the family and also deliver their humble judgment upon him we saw that they had been prepared to express admiration but after they had caught sight of him and read our own vacillating and uncertain looks they broke into rude laughter turned their backs upon him of a rueful countenance and made motions of rejection in his direction confirmed by this in our doubt as to whether they would fully appreciate the humanitarian nature of the small fee which anastasia had demanded we declared that the dog had been presented to us and then we led lux to the veranda and set before him a welcoming feast composed of liberal scraps of considerable content but his timidity caused him to reject all this he sniffed to be sure at the titbits which he was invited to consume but stood aside shy and incapable of bringing himself to the pitch of believing that all these cheese rinds and chicken bones were really intended for him on the other hand he did not reject the sack which we had stuffed with seaweed and which we had made ready upon the floor for his comfort and there he lay down with his paws tucked under him whilst we retired to the inner rooms and consulted as to the name which he was finally to bear through all the years to come he still refused to eat on the following day 
then followed a period during which he devoured indiscriminately everything that came within the radius of his jaws until he attained the necessary degree of quiet regularity and critical dignity in matters of diet the process of his domiciling and civic habitation should be described in some bold and spacious manner i shall not lose myself in a too meticulous portrayal of this process it suffered an interruption through the temporary disappearance of bashan the children had let him into the garden and they had taken off the rope in order to give him freedom of action during an unguarded moment he had escaped into the vastness of the outer world through the gap left between the lower part of the gate and the gravel path his disappearance aroused grief and consternation at least among the master and mistresses of the house for the servants were disposed to make light of the loss of a gift dog if they really regarded it as a loss at all the telephone began to play tempestuously between our domain and anastasia's mountain caravansary at which we hopefully adjudged him to be but in vain he had not shown himself there two days heavy with care went by and then anastasia reported that she had received tidings from hofling that lux had appeared at the parental farm an hour and a half ago he was there no denying it the realism of his instinct had drawn him back to the world of potato parings and in lonely one-day marches facing all kinds of wind and weather he had covered the twenty kilometres which he had once travelled between the wheels of the farm wagon and so his former owners were obliged to hitch up this vehicle in order to deliver the fugitive homecomer into anastasia's hands once more two more days rolled by and then we again went forth to bring home the errant one we found him fastened as before to the table-leg unkempt and gaunt and splashed with the mud of the country roads to be sure he gave signs of recognition and of joy as he caught sight of us but why then had he left us there came a time when it was clear that he had rid his mind of the charms of the farm but had not yet fully taken root with us so that his soul was masterless and like to a leaf that is set tumbling about by the wind during this period it was necessary to keep a sharp eye on him whilst out walking for he was all too prone to tear asunder unperceived the weak band of sympathy that bound us and in a grand burst of independent living to lose himself in the woods where he would certainly have reverted to the condition of his savage forebears our solicitude preserved him from this sinister destiny we strove to keep him on that high moral level which his kind had achieved at the sight of man during thousands of years of association in common and then a radical change of residence our removal to the city or rather its suburbs led to his becoming wholly dependent upon us and entering upon an intimate connection with our household life End of chapter two chapter three of bashan and i by thomas mann this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter three a few items regarding bashan's character and manner of life part one 
a man in the valley of the isar had told me that dogs of this species might become obnoxious for they were always anxious to be with the master i was therefore warned against accepting the tenacious faithfulness which bashan soon began to display towards me as all too personal in its origin on the other hand this made it easier for me to discourage it a little in so far as this may in self-defence have been necessary we have to deal here with a remote and long-derived patriarchal instinct of the dog which determines him at least so far as the more manly open-air loving breeds are concerned to regard and honour the man the head of the house and the family as the master the protector of the home the lord and to find the goal and meaning of his existence in a peculiar relationship of loyal vassal friendship and in the maintenance of a far greater spirit of independence towards the other members of the family it was this spirit that bashan manifested towards me from the very beginning his eyes followed me about with a manly trustfulness shining in them he seemed to be asking for commands which he might fulfil but which i chose not to give since obedience was not one of his strong points he clung to my heels with a visible conviction that his inseparability from me was something firmly rooted in the sacred nature of things it went without saying that in the family circle he would lie down only at my feet and never at any one else's it went equally without saying that in case i should separate from the others when out walking and pursue my own ways he would join me and follow my footsteps he also insisted upon my company when i was working and when he chanced to find the door that gave upon the garden closed he would come vaulting in through the window with startling suddenness whereby a good deal of gravel would come rattling in upon the floor and then with a sob and a sigh he would throw himself under my desk but there is a reverence which we pay to life and to living things which is too vigilant and keen not to be violated even by a dog's presence when we feel the need of being alone and it was then that bashan always disturbed me in the most tangible fashion he would step up to my chair wag his tail look at me with devouring glances and keep up an incessant trampling the slightest receptive or approving movement on my part would result in his climbing up on the armrests of the chair and gluing himself against my chest in order to force me to laugh by the air kisses which he kept lunging in my direction and then he would proceed to an investigation of the top of my desk assuming no doubt that something edible was to be found there since i was so often caught bending over it and then his broad and hairy paws would smear or blur the wet ink of my manuscript called sharply to account he would lie down once more and fall asleep but no sooner was he asleep than he would begin to dream during which he would execute the movements of running with all his four feet stretched out at the same time giving vent to a clear yet subdued ventriloquistic barking which sounded as if it came from another world that this had a disturbing and distracting effect upon me need surprise no one for first of all it was eerie and then it stirred and burdened my conscience this dream life was all too clearly an artificial substitute for the real chase the real hunt 
and was prepared for him by his nature because in his common life with me the happiness of unrestrained movement in the open did not devolve upon him in that measure which his blood and his instincts demanded this came home to me very strongly but as it was not to be altered it was necessary that my moral disquietude should be dispelled by an appeal to other and higher interests this led me to affirm that he brought a great deal of mud into the room during bad weather and moreover that he tore the carpets with his claws hence as a matter of principle he was forbidden to remain in the house or to bear me company as long as i chanced to be in the house even though occasional exceptions were made he understood this law at once and submitted to the unnatural prohibition since it was precisely this which expressed in itself the inscrutable will of the master and lord of the house for this remoteness from me which often continues especially in the winter for the greater part of the day is merely a matter of being away no actual separation or lack of connection he is no longer with me by my orders but then that is merely the carrying out of an order after all a kind of negative being with me as he would say as for any independent life which bashan might lead without me during these hours that is not to be thought of through the glass doors of my study i see him disporting in a clumsy uncle-like manner with the children on the small patch of grass in front of the house but constantly he comes running up to the door and as he cannot see me through the muslin curtain which stretches across the pane he sniffs at the crack between the door and the jam so as to assure himself of my presence and then sits down on the steps with his back turned towards the room mounting guard from my writing-table i can also see him moving at a thoughtful trot between the old aspens on the elevated highway yonder but such promenades are merely a tepid pastime devoid of pride joy and life and it would be unutterably unthinkable that bashan should take to devoting himself to the glorious pleasures of the chase upon his own account even though no one would hinder him from doing this and my presence as will be shown later would not be particularly favourable towards such an objective he begins to live only when i go forth though alas he cannot always be said to begin life even then for after i leave the house the question is whether i am going to turn towards the right that is down the avenue that leads into the open and to the solitude of our hunting-grounds or towards the left in the direction of the tram-station in order to ride to the city and into the great and spacious world it is only in the first instance that bashan finds that there is any sense in accompanying me at first he joined me after i had chosen the great and spacious world regarded with vast astonishment the car as it came thundering on and forcibly suppressing his shyness made a blind and loyal jump upon the platform directly amongst the passengers but the storm of public indignation swept him off again and so he resolved to go galloping alongside the roaring vehicle which bore so little resemblance to the farm wagon between the wheels of which he had once trotted faithfully he kept step as long as this was possible and his wind would no doubt have held out too 
but being a son of the upland farm he was lost in the traffic of the metropolis he got between people's legs strange dogs made flank attacks upon him a tumult of wild odours such as he had never before experienced vexed and confused his senses house corners impregnated with the essences of old adventures lured him irresistibly he remained behind and though he once more overtook the wagon on rails this proved to be a wrong one even though it exactly resembled the right one bashan ran wildly in the wrong direction lost himself more and more in the disconcerting strangeness of the world and it was more than two days before he came home starved and limping to that last house along the river to which his master had also been sensible enough to return in the meantime this happened two or three times then bashan finally gave up accompanying me when i turned towards the left he knows instantly what i intend to do as soon as i emerge from the doorway of the house make a trip to the hunting grounds or a trip to the great world he jumps up from the doormat upon which he has been awaiting my coming forth under the protecting arch of the entrance he jumps up and at the same moment he sees what my intentions are my clothing betrays these to him the cane that i carry also my attitude and expression the cool and preoccupied look i give him or the irritation and challenge in my eyes he understands headlong he plunges down the steps and goes dancing before me in swift and sudden bounds and full of excitement towards the gate when my going forth seems to be certain but when he beholds hope vanish he subsides within himself lays his ears close to his head and his eyes take on that expression of shy misery which is found in contrite sinners that look which misfortune begets in the eyes of men and also of animals at times he is really unable to believe what he sees and knows that it is all up and that there is no use hoping for a hunt his desires have been too intense he repudiates the signs and symbols chooses not to see the city walking-stick the careful citified clothes i am wearing he pushes through the gate with me switches around outside in a half turn and seeks to draw me towards the right by starting to gallop in this direction and by turning his head towards me forces himself to overlook the fateful no which i oppose to his efforts he comes back when i actually do turn towards the left accompanies me snorting deeply and ejaculating short confused high notes which seem to arise from the tremendous tension in his interior as i walk along the fence of the garden and then he begins to jump back and forth over the pickets of the adjacent public park these pickets are rather high and he groans a little in his flight through the air out of fear lest he hurt himself he makes these leaps impelled by a kind of desperate gaiety scornful of all hard facts and also to bribe me to work upon my sympathies by his cleverness for it is not yet quite impossible however improbable it may seem that i may nevertheless leave the city path at the end of the park once more turns toward the left and lead him on to liberty even if only by way of the slightly roundabout way to the post-box this happens it is true but it happens only rarely 
once this hope has dissolved into empty air bashan settles down upon his haunches and lets me go my way there he sits now in yokel-like ungraceful attitude in the very middle of the road and stares after my retreating form down the whole long vista if i turn my head he pricks up his ears but does not follow me nor would he follow me if i should call or whistle he knows this would all be to no purpose even from the very end of the avenue i can see him still sitting there a small dark awkward shape in the middle of the high road a pang goes through my heart i mount the tram with an uneasy conscience he has waited so long and so patiently and who does not know what torture waiting can be his whole life is nothing but waiting for the next walk in the open and this waiting begins as soon as he has rested after his last run during the night too he waits for his slumbers are distributed throughout the entire twenty-four hours of the sun's revolution and many a siesta upon the smooth lawn whilst the sun beats upon his coat or behind the curtains of his hut must help to shorten the bare and empty spaces of the day his nocturnal rest is therefore dismembered and without unity he is driven by blind impulses hither and thither in the darkness through the yard and the garden he runs from place to place and waits he waits for the recurrent visit of the local watchman with the lantern the heavy thud of whose footfall he accompanies against his own better knowledge with a terrible burst of heralding barks he waits for the paling of the heavens the crowing of the cock in the nearby nursery garden the stir of the morning wind in the trees and for the unlocking of the kitchen entrance so that he may slip in and warm himself at the white tiled range but i believe that the torture of this nightly vigil is mild compared to that which bashan must endure in the broad of day particularly when the weather is fair be it winter or summer when the sun lures into the open and the desire for violent motion tugs in every muscle and his master without whom of course there can be no real enjoyment persistently refuses to leave his seat behind the glass door bashan's mobile little body through which life pulsates so swiftly and feverishly has been so to speak exhausted with rest and there can be no thought of sleep up he comes to the terrace in front of my door drops himself in the gravel with a sob which comes from the very depth of his being and lays his head upon his paws turning up his eyes with a martyr's expression towards heaven this however lasts only a few seconds the new position irks him at once he feels it to be untenable there is still one thing he can do he may descend the steps and pay attention to a small tree trimmed in the shape of a rose tree and flanking the beds of roses an unfortunate tree which owing to these visits of bashan dwindles away every year and must be replanted there he stands on three legs melancholy and contemplative the slave of a habit whether urged by nature or not then he reverts to his forelegs and is no better off than before dumbly he gazes aloft into the branches of a group of ash-trees 
two birds are flitting from bough to bough with lively twitterings he watches feathered ones dashing away swift as arrows and turns aside seeming to shrug his shoulders at so much childish elan of life he stretches and strains as though he intended to tear himself asunder this undertaking for the sake of thoroughness he divides into two parts first of all he stretches his front legs lifting his hindquarters into the air and then exercises these by stretching his hind legs far behind him he yawns tremendously both times with wide red gaping jaws and upcurled tongue well now he has also achieved this the performance cannot be carried on any further and having once stretched yourself according to all the rules of the game it is inconceivable that you should immediately repeat the manoeuvre so bashan stands and gazes at the ground then he begins to turn himself slowly and searchingly about his own axis as though he wished to lie down and were not as yet certain as to the way in which this should be done he changes his mind however and goes with lazy step to the middle of the lawn where with a sudden almost convulsive movement he hurls himself upon his back in order to cool and scour this by a lively rolling hither and thither upon the mown surface of grass this must induce a mighty feeling of bliss for stiffly he draws up his paws as he rolls and snaps into the air in all directions in a tumult of joy and satisfaction all the more passionately he drains this rapture to the very dregs in that he knows that it is purely a fleeting rapture and that one cannot very well wallow in this fashion more than ten seconds and that that magnificent weariness which comes to one after such honest and happy efforts will not follow but merely disillusion and twofold disquietude the price paid for this delirium this drug-like dissipation for a moment he lies with twisted eyeballs upon his side as though he were dead then he rises and shakes himself he shakes himself as only his kind is able to shake itself without having to fear a concussion of the brain he shakes himself to a crescendo of flappings and rattlings and his ears go slapping against his jawbone and his loose lips part from his white bare triangular teeth and then then he stands motionless in stark abstraction he has reached the ultimate limit and no longer has a single idea as to what he shall do with himself under such circumstances as these he has recourse to something extreme he climbs up to the terrace approaches the glass door scratches only once and very feebly but this soft and timidly lifted paw this soft solitary scratching upon which he had resolved after all other counsel had failed work mightily upon me and i arise to open the door for him in order to let him in although i know that this can lead to no good for he immediately begins to leap and cavort as a call to engage in manly enterprises he pushes the carpet into a hundred folds spreads confusion through the room and my peace and quiet are at an end but now judge whether it is easy for me to sail off in the tram after seeing bashan wait thus and leave him sitting as a melancholy little heap of misery deep within the converging lines of the avenue of poplars 
when the summer is on and the daylight is long and lingering this misfortune may not be so overwhelming for then there is always a good chance that at least my evening promenade will take me out into the open so that bashan even though the period of waiting be arduous may nevertheless still meet with his reward and provided one has a certain amount of luck be able to chase a rabbit but in winter it is all up for this day and bashan must bury all hope for a full twenty-four hours for then the night will have already fallen upon the hour of my second going forth the hunting-grounds are buried in impenetrable darkness and i must direct my steps towards regions artificially lighted upstream through streets and public parks and this does not suit bashan's nature and simplicity of soul it is true that at first he followed me even here but soon gave this up and remained at home it was not only that visible chances for gadding about were lacking the half-dark made him hesitant he shied in confused alarm at man and bush the sudden flapping of a policeman's cape caused him to jump aside with a howl and with the courage of horror to make a sudden dash at the policeman who was also scared half to death and strove to even up the fright he had received by a torrent of harsh and threatening words directed at me and bashan and there were many other uncomfortable encounters whenever he went forth with me through the night and the mist apropos of this policeman i will remark that there are three kinds of human beings to whom bashan has a whole-hearted aversion namely policemen monks and chimney-sweeps he cannot tolerate them and will sally forth against them with furious barks whenever they go past the house or wherever they may chance to cross his path moreover winter is that season in which the world lies most vigilantly and insolently in ambush against our liberties and our virtues and least willingly grants us a uniform and serene existence an existence of seclusion and of quiet preoccupation and so it happens that often the city draws me to itself a second time in one day in the evening when society demands its rights then late at midnight the last tram deposits me far out at its penultimate stop or i come jogging along on foot long after the last tram has returned to town i come wandering distrait tempered with wine smoking having passed the bourne of natural fatigue and wrapped in a sense of false security in relation to all things mundane and then it happens that the embodiment of my own domesticity as it were my very retirement comes to meet me and salutes and welcomes me not only without reproach or touchiness but with extreme joy and reintroduces me to my own fireside all in the shape of bashan himself it is pitch dark and the river goes by with a rushing sound as i turn into the poplar avenue a few steps more and i feel that i am becapered and beswitched by paws and tail and have no clear idea of what is happening to me bashan i ask of the darkness and then the capering and the switching are intensified to the utmost they pass into something dervish and berserker like though the silence continues 
the very moment i stand still i feel two homely and wet and muddy paws upon the lapels of my overcoat and there are such violent snappings and lappings close to my face that i bend backwards whilst i pat those lean shoulders wet with rain or snow yes the dear fellow has waited for me at the tram stop well aware of my comings and goings and doings he had gone forth when the hour seemed to have arrived and waited for me at the station waited perhaps a long and weary while in the snow or rain and his joy at my arrival is devoid of all resentment at my cruel faithlessness even though i had utterly neglected him to-day and reduced all his hopes and expectances to naught so i am loud in my praise of him as i pat his shoulders and we turn towards home i tell him that he has acted nobly and deliver myself of momentous promises with regard to the day which is already under way i assure him that is to say not so much him as myself that we shall go hunting together to-morrow without fail no matter what the weather amidst resolutions such as these my mood of universality evaporates seriousness and sobriety slink back into my soul and my fancy now full of the hunting-grounds and their loneliness is seized by apperceptions of higher secret and wondrous obligations end of chapter three part one chapter three of bashan and i by thomas mann this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter three a few items regarding bashan's character and manner of life part two but i am moved to add further details to this transcript of bashan's character so that the willing reader may see it in the nth degree of vivid verisimilitude i might perhaps proceed with more or less skill by drawing a comparison between bashan and the lamented percy for a contrariety more sharply defined than that which distinguished their respective natures is scarcely conceivable within one and the same species as a basic consideration one must remember that bashan enjoys perfect mental health whilst percy as i have already intimated was as is not uncommon with dogs of blue-blooded pedigrees a perfect fool his whole life long crazy a very model of overbred impossibility mention of this has been made in a more momentous connection in a previous chapter i would merely mention here as a contrast bashan's simple and popular ways as these manifest themselves when going for walks or when making salutations occasions upon which the enunciation of his emotions remains within the bounds of common sense and a sound heartiness without ever touching the limits of hysteria limits which percy often transgressed on these occasions and that in the most disconcerting fashion but the whole antithesis between the two creatures is by no means exhausted in this for this antithesis is in truth a mixed and complicated one bashan you must know is somewhat crude like the common people themselves but like them also soft and sentimental 
whilst his noble predecessor combined more delicacy and possibilities of pain with an incomparably prouder and firmer spirit and despite his silliness far excelled that old yokel bashan in the matter of self-discipline it is not in defence of an aristocratic cult of values that i call attention to this mixture of opposite qualities of coarseness and tenderness of delicacy and resolution but purely in the interests of life and actuality bashan for example is just the man for spending even the coldest winter nights in the open that is on the straw behind the coarse burlap curtain of his kennel a slight affection of the bladder prevents him from spending seven hours uninterruptedly in a locked room without committing a nuisance a weakness of his which causes us to lock him out during the inhospitable time of the year setting a justifiable faith in his robust health only once after a particularly icy and foggy night did he make his appearance with moustaches and goatee miraculously frosted and iced and with that jerky one-syllabic cough peculiar to dogs but a few hours and lo he had conquered the cold and was none the worse for it but never would we have dared to expose the silken-haired percy to the inclemency of such a night on the other hand bashan stands in great fear of even the slightest pain and every twinge wrings from him a response the whining complaint of which would arouse aversion if its naive folkish quality did not disarm one and set the springs of gaiety aflow again and again during his prowlings in the underwood i have heard him squeal aloud a thorn had chanced to prick him or a resilient branch had switched him across the face and if he happened to have scratched his belly a little in vaulting over the fence or sprained his foot i have been treated to an antique hero's chorus a three-legged limping approach an uncontrollable wailing and self-lamentation and the more sympathetically i talked to him the more insistent his clamour became though in a quarter of an hour he would be swooping and running about as madly as before percy was of a different metal percy would grit his teeth and keep mum he feared the rawhide whip just as bashan fears it and unfortunately he got a taste of it oftener than bashan for first of all i was younger and more hot-tempered during his epoch than i am at present and secondly his heedlessness often assumed a wanton and sinister aspect which simply clamoured for chastisement and urged me to it when driven to extremities i would take down the whip from the nail then it is true he would crawl under the table or bench and make himself small but never a howl passed his lips when the blow and perhaps yet another came humming down upon his back at most he gave a low moan in case the whip bit too hard but bully bashan begins to shriek and whimper when i merely raise my arm in short he is without pride or dignity without self-restraint or self-discipline but his activities seldom call for armed punitive intervention the less so since i have long ago ceased to demand achievements from him which are contrary to his nature and insistence upon which might lead to a collision tricks for instance i never expect from him it would be futile 
he is no savant no market-place miracle-monger no poodle-like valet no professor but a hunter-lad full of go and vitality i have already emphasized the fact that he is a splendid vaulter if it be necessary he will balk at no obstacle if it be too high he will simply take a running jump and climb over it letting himself drop down on the other side but take it he will but the obstacle must be a real obstacle that is not one under which one may run or crawl for then bashan would consider it sheer insanity to jump over it such obstacles present themselves in the shape of a wall a ditch a barred gate a fence without a hole a horizontal bar a stick held out is no obstacle and so of course one cannot well jump over it without bringing oneself into a silly contrariness to things as well as to one's reason bashan refuses to do this he refuses should you attempt to persuade him to jump over some sham obstacle you would finally in your wrath be forced to take him by the scruff of the neck and to hurl him over it barking and yapping he will hereupon assume a mien as though he had magnanimously permitted you to attain your wishes and will celebrate the result by caperings and rapturous barks you may flatter him beat him but here you will encounter a resistance of sheer reason against the trick pure and simple which you will never be able to overcome he is not unobliging gratifying his master means a great deal to him he will vault over a hedge at my wish or command and not only from his own impulses and gladly will he reap his meed of praise and thanks for this but even though you should beat him half to death he will not jump over a pole or a stick but run under it he will beg a hundred times for forgiveness for consideration for mercy for he fears pain fears it to the point of utter pusillanimity but no fear and no pain can force him to do something which from a physical point of view would be mere child's play for him but for which all mental capacities are obviously lacking in him to demand this act of him is not to confront him with the question as to whether he should or should not jump this question is already settled for him in advance and the command simply means a clubbing to demand the incomprehensible and therefore the impossible from him is in his eyes merely a pretext for a quarrel for a disturbance of friendship and a chance to inflict a whipping and is in itself the very inauguration of these things this is bashan's conception of things as far as i can see and i doubt whether one can speak of mere ordinary stubbornness in this connection obduracy may finally be broken yes it even demands to be broken but basham would seal his refusal to perform a trick or feat with his very life a wondrous soul so friendly and intimate and yet so alien in certain traits so alien that our language is incapable of doing justice to this canine logic what relation has this for example with that terrible circumstantiality always so unnerving for the spectator with which the meeting the acquaintance or the mere recognition of dog and dog fulfil themselves 
my picaroon forays with bashan have made me the witness of hundreds of such meetings or rather i should say forced me to be an unwilling embarrassed witness and every time as long as the scene lasted his usually transparent behaviour became inscrutable to me i found it impossible to effect a sympathetic penetration into the feelings laws and tribal customs which formed the basis of his behaviour in reality the meetings in the open of two dogs strange to each other belongs to the most poignant arresting and pathetic of conceivable happenings it takes place in an atmosphere of demonry and strangeness an inhibition operates here for which there is no exacter term the two cannot pass each other a terrible embarrassment prevails i need scarcely speak of cases in which the one party is locked inside some allotment behind a fence or a hedge even then it is not easy to see what humour the two may be in but the affair is comparatively less ticklish they scent each other from vast distances bashan suddenly appears at my side as though seeking protection and gives way to whimperings which proclaim an indefinite grief and perturbation of soul whilst at the same time the stranger the prisoner starts up a furious barking to which he seems anxious to give the character of vigilance energetically announcing itself but which now and again impulsively reverts to tones which resemble those of bashan's yearning a tearfully jealous a distressful whining we approach the spot drawing nearer and nearer the strange dog has been awaiting us behind the fence there he stands scolding and lamenting his impotence and makes wild leaps against the fence and pretends no one can tell just how much he pretends that he would infallibly tear bashan to pieces if he could but reach him in spite of this bashan who might easily remain at my side and walk past goes towards the fence he must go he would go even contrary to my orders not to go would violate some eminent law far more deeply rooted more inviolable than my own prohibition so he walks up to the spot and with a humble and inscrutable mien fulfils that act of sacrifice which as he well knows always brings about a certain pacification and temporary reconciliation with the other dog so long as he too performs the same act even though it be in another spot and accompanied by low growlings and whines then both begin to chase wildly alongside the fence the one on this the other on the opposite side dumb and always keeping parallel to each other both simultaneously face about at the end of the fence and race back towards the other end turn about and race back once more suddenly however in the very middle they remain as if rooted to the ground no longer longitudinal to the fence but at right angles with it and touch noses through the rails they stand thus for a considerable time and then once more resume their strange and ineffectual race shoulder to shoulder on either side of the fence finally however my dog makes use of his liberty and races off this is always a terrible moment for the imprisoned one 
this sudden lighting out is to him something unendurable it is villainy unutterable and unparalleled to think that the other dog his racial colleague should really think of abandoning him so he raves howls acts like one possessed races up and down his territory all by himself threatens to jump over the fence and strangle the traitor and keeps on hurling the vilest curses after him bashan cannot help hearing all this pother and he is most disagreeably affected by it as his guilty and diffident air proclaims still he refuses to look back and jogs easily along during this the terrible maledictions to our rear gradually decline in intensity and slowly die away into low whinings and thin yowls such is the customary course of events when one of the parties concerned happens to be under duress but the strange contrariety of things reaches its apex when the rencontre takes place under equal conditions and both happen to be free of foot it is extremely unpleasant to be obliged to describe this really it is the most oppressive embarrassing and ticklish situation conceivable however bashan who has just been blithely gambling about comes to me simply forcing himself upon my attention with that peculiar sniffling and whining which arise from the very profounds of his nature these sounds cannot be interpreted as the expression of any particular emotion though i at once recognize them as an attempt to tell me of the approach of a strange dog i peer sharply about me no mistake there he comes and it is clear even from afar as proclaimed by his cautious and hesitant advance that he has become conscious of the other my own anxiety is scarcely less than that of the other two i have premonitions that this meeting is going to be precarious and highly undesirable go away i say to bashan what do you mean by clinging to my leg can't you two carry on negotiations amongst yourselves and at a distance i try to push him away with my stick or if it should come to a battle of bites which uh, whether there be a reason for it or not is extremely probable it is sure to take place around my feet and i shall become the centre of a most unedifying tussle go away i repeat hoarsely but bashan does not go away he continues to cling to me tightly and helplessly only for a moment does he deign to move aside to sniff at a tree an operation which the stranger as i observe out of the corner of my eye is also performing yonder the distance between the two is now only twenty paces the tension is fearful the stranger has now assumed a crouching position like a tiger cat with head thrust forward and in this highwayman-like pose he awaits bashan's approach apparently in order to seize him by the throat at the proper moment this however does not take place nor does bashan appear to expect it at all events he continues to advance straight towards the lowering one though with palpitant hesitancy and an alert though tragic mien he would do so would in fact be forced to do so even though i were to leave him and pursue my path abandoning him to all the perils of the situation no matter how upsetting the rencontre may be no thought can be given to evasion or escape he goes as one that is under a spell a ban 
both are bound to each other by some secret and tenebrous tie and neither dares belie this we have now approached within two paces and then the other dog gets up quietly just as though he had never assumed the looks or attitude of a lion couchant and stands there precisely as bashan stands both with hangdog look miserable and deeply embarrassed and both incapable of yielding an inch or of passing each other they would like to be free of all this they turn away their heads squint sadly aside thus they shove and slink towards each other side by side tense and full of a troubled watchfulness flank to flank and began to snuffle at each other's sides it is during this procedure that the growlings begin sotto voce i call bashan by name and warn him for this is the fateful moment which is to decide whether a tussle and biting match is to take place or whether i am to be spared this calamity but the battle of bites of tooth and claw is upon us in a flash no one could say how or why in a moment both of them are merely a tangle a raving chaotic tumult out of which arise horrible guttural cries as of dragons of the prime tearing each other in order to avert a tragedy i am forced to interpose my stick to seize bashan by his collar or by the scruff of his neck and to hoist him into the air with one arm with his antagonist hanging to him with locked jaws or face whatever other terrors may be awaiting me terrors which i am then fated to feel in every nerve during the greater part of the walk but it also happens that the entire affair may pass off quite uneventfully and as it were ebb away nevertheless in both contingencies it is difficult to get away from the spot for even if these twain do not happen to clamp themselves together by the teeth they remain fettered by a tenacious inner bond in this case things proceed as follows you imagine that the two dogs have already passed each other for they are no longer hesitating flank to flank but are aligned almost in keel formation the one with his head turned in one direction the other with his in the opposite direction they do not see each other they scarcely turn their heads merely squinting towards the rear straining the eyeball back as far as possible even though they are already separated by some short distance the tenacious sinister tie still holds and neither of them is sure whether the moment of liberation has arrived both would like to move off but some inscrutable conscientious anxiety prevents them from leaving the spot until at last at last the ban is broken and bashan redeemed and with the air of having just been granted a new lease of life goes bounding off i mention these things in order to indicate how strange an alien so close a friend may appear under certain circumstances times when his entire nature reveals itself as something eerie and obscure i brood upon this mystery and find no answer save a shake of the head it is only by intuition and not by reason that i am able to identify myself with it otherwise i am well acquainted with bashan's inner world and i am able to meet its every manifestation with sympathy and with cheerfulness to understand his play of features and his whole behaviour 
how well for example a solitary example do i know that chirruping yawn to which he has recourse whenever he has been disappointed in the results of a walk it may be that the walk was all too short or else barren of events in a sporting sense as sometimes happens when i have begun my day's work a little later than usual and have gone into the open air with bashan for a brief quarter of an hour before sitting down at my desk he walks beside me then and yawns it is a shameless impolite wide-angle yawning the yawning of the beast of the brute and it is accompanied by a whistling guttural note and by a hurt and bored look it says as clearly as words a nice sort of master i've got i went and fetched him from the bridge last night and now he goes and sits behind that there glass door and i've got to wait till he goes out and me a-perishing with impatience and then at last when he does go out he turns round again and starts back home before i've had a sniff at a single bit of game a fine sort of master eh? and what a mean trick to play on a hound why he ain't fit to be called a master at all such are the sentiments expressed with rude clarity by these yawns of his and there is no mistaking them i am also aware that he is perfectly right in cherishing such sentiments and that in his eyes i am guilty and so my hand steals toward his shoulder for a pat or two or i proceed to stroke the top of his skull but he has no use for caresses under such circumstances he refuses to acknowledge or accept them he gives another yawn and this still more rudely than before if that be possible and withdraws himself from my conciliatory hand he withdraws himself even though he is extremely fond of such caresses in accordance with his earthy all too earthy sentimentality and in contradistinction to the impervious percy he particularly appreciates being scratched upon the throat and he has acquired a droll but adroit energy in guiding one's hand to the proper place by means of short movements of the head that he ignores all tendernesses at present is due not only to his disillusion and disappointment but also to the fact that he has no interest in such fondlings when in a state of movement that is a state of movement coordinated with mine he is then obsessed by a masculine mood and spirit and scorns all feminine touches but an immediate change takes place as soon as i sit down then his heart expands and he becomes receptive to all friendly advances and his manner of responding to them is full of rapturous and awkward insistence often when i chance to be seated on my chair in the angle of the garden wall or in the grass with my back against some favourite tree reading a book i am happy to interrupt my literary occupation in order to speak and play with bashan i repeat to speak with him and what do i find to say well the conversation is usually limited to repeating his name to him his name those two syllables which concern him more than all others since they designate nothing but himself and thus have an electrifying effect upon his entire being i thus stir and fire his consciousness of his ego by abjuring him in different tones and in different degrees of emphasis to consider the fact that he is called bashan and that he is bashan 
by keeping this up for a short time i am able to throw him into a state of veritable ecstasy a kind of drunkenness of identity so that he begins to rotate upon his own axis and to send loud barks towards heaven all out of sheer inner triumph and the proud compulsion of his heart or we amuse each other in that i flick him upon the nose while he snaps at my hand as at a fly this forces both of us to laugh yes even passion must laugh this laugh of his to which i must instinctively respond is for me the most wonderful and touching thing in the world it is unutterably moving to see how his haggard canine cheek and the corners of his mouth quiver and jerk to the excitement of the teasing how the dusty mien of the dumb creature takes on the physiomic expression of human laughter or how a troubled helpless and melancholy reflection of this appears and vanishes again to give way to the stigmata of fear and embarrassment and then how it once more makes its wry appearance but it is best to pause here and not to involve myself deeper in detail i must not allow my descriptions to exceed the limits which i have set i merely wish to show my hero in all his glory and in his natural elements and in that position in life in which he is most himself and which casts the most favourable light upon his various gifts and accomplishments that is to say the hunt or chase i must however as a preliminary make the reader more closely acquainted with the scene of these joys our hunting-grounds my landscape along the river for there is a strange affinity between this and the person of passion this strip of land is as dear to me as it is to him it is intimate and full of meaning like himself therefore without further ado or novelistic preciosity let the following suffice in the way of description end of chapter three part two Chapter Four of Bashan and I by Thomas Mann. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four: The Hunting Grounds, Part One. In the gardens of our small but spaciously arranged colony of villas, there are huge trees, ancient giants which tower above the roofs. They offer a marked contrast to the tender saplings but recently planted there can be no mistaking the fact that these trees are the original growth the aboriginal inhabitants of this region they are the pride and beauty of this still youthful settlement they have been carefully preserved and tended as far as this was possible at those points where they happen to come into conflict with the surveyor's lines or with the fences dividing the various lots or tracts of land that is to say where some mossy silvery venerable trunk happened to be standing precisely on the lines of demarcation you will find that the fence has made a little loop around the tree trunk or that a gap has been left in the concrete of the garden wall in these openings the old ones now tower half privately half publicly their naked branches loaded with snow or bedizened with their small-leafed late sprouting foliage these trees are of the species of the ash a tree which loves dampness as few others do this quality at the same time offers a very significant commentary upon the essential peculiarity of our strip of country 
it is not yet so very long ago that human ingenuity succeeded in turning it into something capable of cultivation and occupation possibly a decade and a half ago no longer before that it was a wilderness of swamps a veritable brooding place for gnats and mosquitoes a waste in which willows crippled poplars and such like gnarled and twisted arboreal stuff mirrored itself in stagnant pools this region you must know is subject to inundation a few meters under the surface there is a strata of water-tight soil the ground has therefore always been swampy and water stood in every hollow the draining of this fin was accomplished by lowering the surface of the river i have no head for engineering but some such expedient was made use of with the result that the water which could not seep downward was induced to flow off laterally hence there are many subterranean brooks which pour themselves into the river at different spots solidity has thus been given to the soil at least the greater part of it for if you happen to know the district as bashan and i know it you would be able to discover in the thickets downstream many a reedy sinkage which reminds you of pristine conditions these are places of silence and secrecy the damp coolth of which defies the hottest summer day spots in which one is glad to rest and draw breath for a space the region really possesses its own peculiar character and is to be distinguished at first glance from the banks of the usual mountain river with their pine woods and mossy meadows it has succeeded in retaining this original peculiarity even since it has come into the possession of the real estate company even outside the gardens the aboriginal and original vegetation maintains the upper hand over the imported and the transplanted it is true that in the avenues and parks the horse chestnut seems to thrive as well as the swift-growing maple even beeches and all kinds of decorative shrubbery but all these including the alien poplar which towers and ranges in rows of sterile masculinity are not native to the soil i said that the ash was an indigenous tree here it is to be found everywhere and it is of all ages from giants hundreds of years old to the soft shoots which like so many weeds sprout in masses from the gravel it is the ash and its companions the silver poplar and the aspen the birch and the willow both as a tree and a bush which give distinctive character to this landscape but these are all trees with small leaves and this smallness and trimness of the foliage in conjunction with the frequently gigantic masses of the trees themselves at once attract attention to this neighbourhood the elm however is an exception and we find it spreading its spacious leaves fretted as by a jigsaw and shiny and sticky on their upper surface to the sun and everywhere there are great masses of creeping plants which weave themselves around the younger trunks in the woods and in a bewildering way entangle their leaves with these the slender alders form themselves into small groves in the hollows the lime is scarcely to be met with at all the oak never appears nor does the fir yet there are firs upon the eastern declivities which form the frontiers of our territory for here the soil changes and with it the vegetation there they rear black against the heavens and peer sentinel-like upon us in our lower levels 
from this bluff to the river is not more than a hundred meters i have paced the distance it may be that the strip of river bank widens fan-like a little farther downstream but this divergence is in no way important it is however remarkable what a diversity of landscape this limited region affords even though one explore only the playground which lies along the river explore it with restraint and moderation like bashan and myself our forays seldom exceed two hours counting the advance and the retreat the manifold nature of the views however and the fact that one is constantly able to change one's walks and to arrange combinations that are eternally new without ever becoming bored with the landscape is due to the circumstance that it is divided into three very different regions or zones one may devote oneself separately to any of these or one may combine them by means of slanting cross paths these three regions are the regions of the river and its immediate bank on one side the regions of the bluff on the other and the region of the forest in the middle the greater part of the breadth is occupied by the zone of the forest the willow brakes and the shrubbery of the bank i find myself hunting for a word which will more perfectly fix and define this wonderful terrain than the word wood and yet i am unable to find one there can be no talk of a wood in the usual sense of the term a kind of great pillared grove with moss and strewn leafage and tree trunks of fairly uniform girth the trees in our hunting grounds are of different ages and circumference huge patriarchs of the willow and poplar families are to be found among them especially along the river though they are also to be encountered in the inner woods then there are others already full grown which might be ten or fifteen years old and finally a legion of thin stems wild nurseries of nature's own crop of young ashes birches and elders these do not however call forth any impression of meagreness because as i have already indicated they are all thickly wrapped about with creepers these give an air of almost tropical luxuriance to the whole yet i suspect that these creepers hinder the growth of their hosts for during the years i have lived here i do not remember having observed that any of these little stems had grown perceptibly thicker all trees belong to a closely related species the alder is a member of the birch family in the last analysis the poplar is nothing else than a willow and one might even say that all of them approach the fundamental type of the latter all foresters and woodmen know that trees are quite ready to accept a certain adaptation to the character of the circumjacent vicinity a certain imitation or mimicry of the dominant taste in lines and form it is the fantastic witch-like distorted line of the willow which prevails here this faithful companion and attendant of still and of flowing waters with the crooked finger projecting broom-like branching boughs and it is these features which the others obviously seek to imitate the silver poplar crooks itself wholly in the style of the willow and it is often difficult to tell her from the birch which seduced by the genius loci also frequently affects the most extravagant crookednesses though i would not go so far as to say that this dear and friendly tree was not to be found 
and numerously found in exceedingly shapely specimens these when the afternoon light is fervent and favorable are even most enchanting to the eye the region knows it as a small silvery trunk with sparse single leaves in the crown as a sweet grown-up limber virgin with the prettiest of chalky stems and a trim and languishing way of letting the locks of her foliage hang but it also makes its appearance as a creature of absolutely elephantine proportions with a waist which no man could span with his arms and a rind which has preserved traces of its erstwhile whiteness only high up towards the top whilst near the ground it has become a coarse calcined and fissured bark as to the soil this has little resemblance to that of a forest it is pebbly full of clay and even sand and no one would dream of calling it fertile and yet within limits it is fertile even to luxuriance a tall grass flourishes upon it though this often assumes a dry sharply angular and meagre character in winter it covers the ground like trampled hay sometimes it degenerates into reeds whilst in other parts it is soft thick and lush mixed with hemlock nettles coltsfoot all manner of creeping leafy stuff high rocket-like thistles and young and tender tree shoots it is a favorite hiding-place for pheasants and quail and the vegetation runs in billows against the gnarled boles of the tree-roots out of this chaos of undergrowth and ground thicket the wild vine and wild hop plant go gyrating up in spirals draping broad-leaved garlands upon the trees and even in winter clinging to the trunks with tendrils which resemble hard and unbreakable wire this domain is neither forest nor park it is an enchanted garden nothing less i will stoutly defend this term even though it refers to a poor limited and even crippled bit of nature the glories of which may be exhausted with a few simple botanical names the ground is undulant it rises and falls in regular waves this feature gives a fine completeness to the views the eye is led into the illimitable even at the sides yes even if this wood were to stretch for miles to the right and left even if it were to be as broad as it is long instead of merely measuring a hundred and some odd paces from the centre to the extreme edge on either side one could not feel more secluded more lost or isolated alone the ear is reminded by the regular and rushing sound of waters to the west that the river hovers within a friendly distance near yet invisible there are little gulches filled to the brim with bushes of elder common privet jasmine and black elderberry so that one's lungs on steamy june days are almost overcome by perfume and then again there are sinkages in the ground mere gravel pits along the slopes and bottoms of which only a few willow shoots and a little dry sage manage to flourish all this has not ceased to exert a magic influence upon me even though the place for many a year has been as a daily haunt to me in some ways i am fantastically moved and touched by all this for example by the massed foliage of the ash trees which reminds me somehow of the contours of huge bulls these creeping vines and reedy thickets this dampness and this drought 
this meagre jungle to sum up my impressions as a whole affect me a little like being transported to the landscape of another period of the earth's growth even to a submarine landscape as though one were wandering at the bottom of the sea this vision has a certain contact with reality for water once stood or ran everywhere hereabout especially in those seepages which have now assumed the shape of square meadow basins surrounded by nurseries of ash trees and serve sheep for drink and pasture one of these ponds lies directly behind my house my delectable wilderness is criss-crossed by paths by strips of trampled grass and also by pebbly trails obviously none of these were made they simply grew through the agency of use yet no man could say by whom these paths have been trodden into the soil it is only now and then and usually as an unpleasant exception that bashan and i meet any one here when such meetings do occur my companion comes to a sudden halt in startled surprise and gives vent to a single muffled bark which gives a pretty clear expression to my own feelings in connection with the encounter even on fine sunny afternoons in the summer when great numbers of pedestrians from the city come pouring into the neighborhood it is always a few degrees cooler here than elsewhere we too are able to wander quite undisturbed in the inner ways the public is apparently unaware of these besides the river is a great attraction and draws them mightily hugging its banks as closely as possible that is when there is no flooding the human river wanders out into the countryside and then comes rolling back in the evening at most we chance to stumble upon a pair of lovers kissing in the bushes with wide shy yet insolent eyes regard us from their bower as though stubbornly bent on challenging us daring us to say anything against their being there defying us to give any open disapproval of their remote and guerrilla love-making intimations which we silently answer in the negative by beating a flank retreat fashion with that air of indifference with which all things that do not bear the scent of the wild about them affect him and i with a perfectly inscrutable and expressionless face which allows no trace either of approval or disapproval to be seen but these paths are not the only means of traffic and communication in my domain you will find streets there or to be more precise preparations that may once have been streets or were once destined to be such it is like this traces of the pathfinding and path-clearing acts and of a sanguine spirit of enterprise in the realm of real estate reveal themselves for quite a distance beyond the built-up part of the country and the little villa colony some speculative soul had peered deeply into the untold possibilities of the future and had proceeded upon a bold and audacious plan the society which had taken this tract of territory in hand some ten or fifteen years before had cherished plans far more magnificent than those which came to pass for originally the colony was not to have been confined to the handful of villas which now stand there building lots were plentiful 
for more than a mile downstream everything had been prepared and is no doubt still prepared for possible buyers and for lovers of a settled suburban manner of life the councils of this syndicate had been dominated by large and lofty ideals they had not contented themselves with building proper jetties along the banks with the creation of riverside walks and quays and with the planting of parks and gardens they had gone far beyond all this the hand of cultivation had invaded the woods themselves had made clearings piled up gravel united the wilderness by means of streets a few lengthways and still more crosswise they are well-planned and handsome streets or sketches of streets in coarse macadam with the hint of a curb and roomy sidewalks on these however no one goes walking but bashan and myself he upon the good and durable leather of his four paws i upon hobnailed boots because of the macadam the villas which should long ago have risen hospitably along these streets according to the calculations and intentions of the society have for the present refused to materialize even though i have set so excellent an example as to build my own house in these parts they have remained absent i say for ten for fifteen years and so it is small wonder that a certain discouragement has settled down upon the neighbourhood and that a disinclination for further expenditures and for the completion of that which was so magnificently begun should make itself felt in the bosom of the society everything had progressed admirably up to a certain point things had even gone so far as the christening of the new streets for these thoroughfares without inhabitants have right and regular names just like ordinary or orthodox streets in the city or in the civilized suburbs but i would give much to know what dreamy soul or retrospective highbrow of a speculator had assigned them there is a goethe and a schiller a lessing and a heine street there is even an adalbert stifter street upon which i stroll with particular sympathy and reverence in my hobnailed boots square stakes are visible such as may be seen in at the corners of the raw and uncompleted streets in the suburbs where there are no corner houses little blue enamelled shields with white letters are fastened to these stakes these shields alas are not in the best condition they have stood here far too long giving a name to adumbrations of streets in which no one cares to live and they have been singled out to bear the stigmata of disappointment fiasco and arrested development to which they give public expression they are wrapped in an air of forlorn disquietude and neglect nothing has been done for their upkeep nor for their renewal and the weather and the sun have played havoc with them the enamel to a great extent has split and cracked off the white letters have been eaten away by rust so that in place of their smooth and glittering whiteness there are only brown spots and gaps with hideous jagged edges disfigurements which tear the image of the name asunder and often render it illegible one of these blue enamelled signboards imposed a tremendous strain upon my intellect when i first came hither and penetrated this region on my tours of exploration it was a signboard particularly long in shape 
and the word street strasse had been preserved without a break but of the actual name which as i have indicated was very long or rather had been very long the letters were nearly all completely blinded or devoured by rust the reddish brownish gaps gave one some idea of their number but nothing was decipherable except the half of a capital s and an e in the middle and another e at the end this riddle was a little too much for my astuteness i was face to face with too many unknown quantities so i stood there for a long time my hands upon my back staring at the long signboard and studying it closely and then i gave it up and went strolling along the rudimentary pavement with passion but whilst i thought that i was occupying myself with other things this particular thing kept working within the mnemonic depths of me my sub-intelligence kept scenting out the destroyed name and suddenly it shot into my consciousness i stood still as in a fright i rushed back and once more planted myself in front of the signboard i counted and compared and tested the elements of my guess yes it fitted it worked out we were wandering in the street which had been called shakespeare these signboards befit the streets which justify their metallic existence and these streets the signboards which give them a local habitation and a name both of them are dreamily and wonderfully lapped in forgetfulness and decay they pursue their way through the wood which they have invaded but the wood refuses to rest it refuses to leave these streets inviolate for a decade or more until settlers choose to pitch their tents or villas here so the wood calmly goes to work and makes preparation to close the streets for the green things that grow here have no fear of gravel or macadam they are used to it and thrive in it and on it so everywhere upon the streets and upon the pavements the purple-headed thistles the blue sage silvery willow shrubs and the green of young ash-tree sprouts begin to take root and shoot forth there can be no doubt these park-like streets with the poetic names are running wild the jungle is once more devouring them whether one be disposed to lament the fact or rejoice over it it is certain that in another ten years the goethe schiller and heine streets will no longer be passable and will very likely have vanished utterly at present to be sure there is no cause for complaint surely from a pictorial and romantic point of view there are no lovelier streets in all the world than precisely these in precisely their present condition nothing could be more grateful to the soul than to ramble through this negligence this incompleteness that is when one is well and sturdily shod and need not fear the coarse gravel it is edification to the spirit to survey the manifold wild vegetation of the track and the groves of tiny-leaved trees fettered by their soft dampness sweet glimpses which frame and shut in these perspectives just such a group of trees was painted three hundred years ago by that great master of landscapes he who came out of lorraine but what am i saying such as he painted it was this one and none other which he painted he was here 
he knew the region and if that rhapsodical member of the real estate company who christened the streets in my park had not so rigidly restricted himself to literature then one or the other of these rust-corroded signs might well cause me to guess at the name of Claude lorraine i have now described the region of the central wood but the sloping land towards the east also possesses charms which are not to be despised at least so far as bashan and myself are concerned and for reasons which will be revealed later one might also call it the zone of the brook for it is a brook which gives it an idyllic landscape quality with the charm of its banks of forget-me-nots it forms a counterpart on the hither side to the zone of the puissant river yonder the roar and rushing turbulence of which one is still able to hear in this spot but only very faintly and softly and only when the west wind is blowing there where the first cross street running from the avenue of poplars between the meadow ponds and the clumps of trees towards the slope debouches at the foot of this slope there is a path that leads towards the left this is used in winter time as a bobsled run by the youth of the region and slants towards the lower lying levels where the run becomes level the brook begins its course and it is here that master and dog love to amble beside it on the right bank or the left which again affords variety and also to make excursions along the slope with its variegated configuration to the left extend meadows studded with trees a country nursery lies not far away and reveals the back of its farm buildings sheep are usually at pasture here cropping the clover they are under the chairmanship so to speak of a not very clever little girl in a red frock this little girl seems to suffer from a veritable passion to rule and command she is constantly crouching low propping her hands upon her knees and shouting with all her might in a cacophonous voice and yet she is horribly afraid of the ram who takes on huge and majestic proportions on account of the thickness of his wool and who refuses to be bullied and does whatever he pleases whenever bashan's appearance causes a panic among the sheep the child invariably raises its hideous outcry and these panics occur quite regularly and quite contrary to bashan's intentions for if you could peer into his inmost soul you would discover that sheep are a matter of absolute indifference to him he treats them like so much empty air and by his indifference and his scrupulous and even contemptuous carefulness he even seeks to prevent the outbreak of the dunder-headed hysteria which dominates their ranks though their scent is certainly strong enough for my own nostrils yet not unpleasantly so it is not the scent of the wild that emanates from them and so bashan of course has not the slightest interest in hounding them nevertheless a simple sudden motion on his part or even his mere shaggy appearance is sufficient to cause the whole herd which but a moment ago was peacefully grazing widely separated and bleating in the quavering treble of the lambs and in the deeper contralto and bass of the ewes and the ram to go storming off in a solid mass neck and neck whilst the stupid child crouching low 
shouts after them until her voice cracks and her eyes pop out of her head bashan however looks up at me as much as to say judge for yourself whether i am to blame have i given them any cause for this on one occasion however something quite contrary happened something perverse and incomprehensible something still more extraordinary and unpleasant than the panic one of the sheep quite an ordinary specimen of its kind of average size and average sheepish visage with a small upward curving mouth which appeared to smile and gave an expression of almost mocking stupidity to its face seemed to be spellbound and fascinated by bashan and came to join him it simply followed him detached itself from the herd left the pasture and clung to bashan's heels quietly smiling in exaggerated foolishness and following him whithersoever he turned he left the path the sheep did likewise he ran and it followed at a gallop he stood still and it stood still immediately behind him and smiling its mysterious mona lisa smile displeasure and embarrassment became visible in bashan's face the situation into which he had been plunged was really ridiculous there was neither sense nor significance in it neither in a good or a bad sense the whole thing confound it was simply preposterous nothing of the kind had ever happened to him or to me the sheep went farther and farther from its basis but this did not seem to trouble it in the least it followed the discomfited and irritated bashan farther and farther visibly determined not to separate from him ever again but to follow him whithersoever he might go he remained close beside me not so much out of fear since there was no occasion for this as out of shame at the dishonour of the situation in which he found himself finally as though his patience were at an end he stood still turned his head and growled ominously this caused the sheep to bleat and its bleating sounded like the wicked laughter of a human being which so terrified poor bashan that he ran away with his tail between his legs and the sheep straight after him with comic jumps and curvetings we were already at a considerable distance from the herd in the meantime the half-witted little girl was screaming as though she would burst still crouching and bending upon her knees and even drawing these up as high as her face so that from a distance she looked like a raving and malformed gnome and then a farm-maid with an apron over her skirts came running up either in answer to the cries of the obsessed little one or because she had noticed the happenings from afar she came running i say with a pitchfork in one hand with the other she supported her bodice which i surmise was unsupported and which was visibly disposed to shake a trifle too violently as she ran she came up panting and at once proceeded to shy the sheep which was slowly pacing along like bashan himself into the proper direction with the fork though without success the sheep it is true sprang aside with a swift flank movement but in an instant it was once more on bashan's trail nothing seemed to be able to induce it to give up i then realized that the only thing to do was to turn tail myself and so i turned round we all retraced our steps 
bashan at my side beside him the sheep and behind the sheep the maid with the pitchfork whilst the child in the red frock kept on yelling and stamping it was not enough however that we should go back as far as the herd it was necessary to finish the job and to proceed to the final destination we were obliged to enter the farmyard and then the sheep stable with the broad sliding door which the maid with muscular arm rolled to one side before us we thereupon marched in and after we were all inside we three were forced to make a swift and adroit escape so as to be able to shove the stable door to before the very nose of the beguiled sheep making it a prisoner it was only after this operation had been gone through that bashan and i were able to resume our interrupted promenade amidst the fervent thanks of the maid during the entire walk however bashan persisted in maintaining a humble and disconsolate air end of chapter four part one chapter four of bashan and i by thomas mann this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter four the hunting grounds part two so much for the sheep closely adjacent to the farm buildings on the left there is an extensive colony of small market gardens these are owned and tended by the clerks and workingmen of the city and are the source of much joy exercise and considerable supplies of cheap flowers and vegetables the gardens have a cemetery-like effect with their many arbors and summer houses built in imitation of tiny chapels and with their countless small fenced-in plots the whole is enclosed by a wooden fence with an ornamental gateway no one however except the small amateur gardeners is permitted to have admittance through this wooden grill at times i see some bare-armed man there digging up his little vegetable garden a square rod or so in size and always it seems to me as though he were digging his own grave beyond these gardens lie open meadows which are covered with mole hills and which extend to the edge of the central wooded region here in addition to the mole hills there are also great numbers of field mice a fact which must be solemnly remarked in view of bashan and his multiform joy in the chase on the other side that is to say to the right the brook and the slope continue the latter as i have already indicated in diverse configuration at first covered with fir trees it displays a dusky and sunless visage later it transforms itself to a sand pit which warmly refracts the beams of the sun still later it converts itself into a gravel pit and then to a cataract of bricks just as though a house had been demolished higher up and the debris hurled down the slope this has imposed temporary difficulties upon the course of the brook but the brook rises equal to the occasion its waters mount a trifle and spread themselves out stained red by the dust of the broken brick and also discoloring the grass around the bank after this they flow the dearer and more gaily on their way with glistenings here and there upon the surface i have a great love for brooks as i have for all bodies of water from the ocean to the smallest scum-covered puddle when i happen to be in the mountains during the summer and chance to hear the secret splashing and gossip of such a streamlet 
then i must follow the liquid call even though it be distant and i cannot rest until i have found its hiding place then face to face i make acquaintance with the talkative child of the crags and the heights beautiful are the proud torrential brooks which come down in crystalline thunder between pines and steep terraces of stone form green ice-cold pools in rocky baths and basins and then go plunging to the next step in a dissolution of snowy foam but i am also fond of looking upon the brooks of the flat land whether they be shallow so as scarcely to cover the polished silvery and slippery pebbles of their beds or as deep as little rivers which protected on both banks by low overhanging willows go shouldering themselves forward with a vigorous thrust flowing more swiftly in the middle than at the sides who being free to make his choice would not follow the course of the waters on his wanderings the attraction which water exercises upon the normal man is natural and mystically sympathetic man is a child of water our bodies are nine-tenths water and during a stage of our prenatal development we even have gills as for myself i gladly confess that the contemplation of water in every shape and form is for me the most immediate and poignant joy in nature yes i will even go so far as to say that true abstractedness true self-forgetfulness the real merging of my own circumscribed existence in the universal is granted to me only when my eyes lose themselves in some grand liquid mirror thus in the face of the sleeping or the charging and crashing of the onrushing sea i am like to be transported into a condition of such profound and organic dreams of such a remote absence from myself that all sense of time is lost and a tedium becomes a thing without meaning since hour upon hour spent in such identification and communion melt away as though they were but minutes but i also love to lean upon the rail of a bridge that crosses a brook and remain fixed to it as with thongs losing myself in the vision of the flowing streaming and whirling element quite immune to the fear or impatience with which i ought to be filled in the view of that other streaming and flowing that goes on about me the swift fluid flight of time such love of the water and all that water means renders the tight little territory which i inhabit the more important and precious to me in that it is surrounded on both sides by water the local brook is of the simple and faithful species there is nothing very remarkable about it its character is based upon friendly averages it is of a naivete as clear as glass without subtlety or deception without an attempt to simulate depth by means of murkiness it is shallow and dear and quite innocently reveals the fact that its bottom harbors castaway tin pots and the carcass of a lace boot in a coat of green slime it is however deep enough to serve as a habitation to pretty silvery-gray and extremely nimble little fish which i presume are minnows and which dart away in wide zigzag lines at our approach my brook widens here and there into ponds with fine willows along the edges one of these willows i always regard lovingly as i pass by it grows i had almost said she grows close to the bluff and thus at some distance from the water 
but it stretches one of its boughs longingly towards the brook and has really succeeded in reaching the flowing water with the silvery foliage that plumes the tip of this bough there it stands with fay-like fingers wet in the stream and draws pleasure from the contact it is good to walk here lightly assailed by the warm summer wind the weather is warm so it is probable that bashan will go wading into the brook to cool his belly only his belly for he has a distinct aversion to bringing the more elevated parts of his anatomy in contact with the water there he stands with his ears laid back and an expression of piety and alertness upon his face and lets the water swirl around him and past him after this he comes sidling up to me in order to shake himself an operation which according to his own conviction must occur in my immediate vicinity the vigour with which he shakes himself causes a thin spray of water and mud to fly my way it is no use warding him off with flourished stick and intense abjurgations under no conditions will he tolerate any interference with anything that appears to him natural inevitable and according to the fitness of things farther on the brook in pursuing its course towards the setting sun reaches a small hamlet which commands a view towards the north between the woods and the slope and at the entrance to this hamlet lies the tavern here the brook once more broadens into a pond the women of the village kneel at the edge of this and wash their linen a little footbridge crosses the stream should you venture over you will set foot upon a road which leads from the village towards the city running between the edge of the wood and the edge of the meadow should you leave this road on the right you will be able to reach the river in a few steps by means of a wagon road that cuts through the wood we are now within the zone of the river the river itself lies before us green and streaked with white and full of liquid roarings it is actually only a great mountain torrent its everlasting rushing sound can be heard with a more or less muffled reverberation everywhere throughout the region here it swells and crashes overwhelmingly upon the ears it might in fact serve as a substitute for the sacred and sounding onset of the sea if no sea is to be had the ceaseless cry of innumerable land gulls intermingles with the voice of the stream in autumn and in winter and even during the spring these gulls go circling round and round the mouth of the overflow pipes filling the air with their screams here they find their food until the season grows milder and permits them to make their way to the lakes and the hills like the wild and half-wild ducks which also spend the cool and the cold months in the vicinity of the city balance themselves on the waves permit themselves to be carried by the current which turns them round and rocks them at will and then just at the moment when some rapid or whirlpool threatens to engulf them fly up with light and vibrant wing and settle down once more upon the water a little farther upstream the region of the river is arranged and classified as follows close to the edge of the wood there stretches a broad level of gravel this is a continuation of the poplar avenue which i have mentioned so frequently and runs say for about a kilometre downstream that is to say to the little ferryman's house of which more anon 
behind this the thicket comes closer to the river channel the purpose of this desert of gravel is clear it is the first and most prominent of the longitudinal streets and was lavishly planned by the real estate company as a charming and picturesque esplanade for elegant turnouts with visions of gentlemen on horseback approaching spick and span landaus and victorias glistening in their enamel and engaging in delicate badinage with smiling and beauteous ladies reclining at ease under dainty parasols close to the ferryman's house there is a huge signboard in a state of advanced decrepitude this proclaims what was to have been the immediate goal the temporary termination of the carriage corso for there in broad and blatant letters you may read that this corner site is for sale for the erection of a park cafe and a fashionable refreshment establishment well the purpose remains unfulfilled and the building site is empty for in place of the park cafe with its little tables its hurrying waiters and glass and cup sipping and straw sucking guests there is only the big wooden signboard a slant a resigned collapsing bid without a bidder and the corso itself only a waste of coarsest gravel covered with willow bushes and with blue sage almost as thickly as the goethe or lessing streets alongside the esplanade nearer to the river there runs a smaller gravel way which is also overgrown with insurgent shrubbery it is characterized by grass mounds which arise at intervals and from which telegraph poles mount into the air yet i am fond of frequenting this road on my walks first because of the change and second because the gravel permits of clean though somewhat difficult locomotion when the clayey footpath yonder does not appear passable during the days of heavy rain this footpath actually the real promenade runs for miles along the river and then finally degenerates into wild haphazard trails along the bank it is lined along the riverside with saplings maple and birch and on the land side it is flanked by the mighty primitive inhabitants of the region willows aspens and silver poplars all of them colossal in their dimensions the escarpment plunges steeply and sheerly towards the river bed it is protected by ingenious works of woven willow withs and by a concrete armor along its lower parts against the mounting flood water which once or twice a year comes rolling hither when the snows melt in the mountains or the rain overdoes itself here and there the slope hospitably offers one the use of wooden steps half ladders and half stairs by means of which one may with a fair degree of comfort descend upon the actual river bed which is usually quite dry it is the reserve gravel bed of the big wild brook and is about six meters wide the stream behaves like all other members of its family the small as well as the smallest that is to say according to the weather and the water conditions in the upper mountain regions sometimes its course will be a mere green flowing tunnel with the rocks scarcely covered and with the gulls appearing to stand stilt-legged on the very surface itself and then again it will assume a most formidable character swelling into a wide stream filling its bed with grey watery fury and tumult and bearing along in its headlong course 
all kinds of unseemly objects such as old baskets pieces of wooden crates bushes and dead cats in its circling wrath and showing a great disposition to flooding and to deeds of violence the reserve or overflow channel is also armored against high water by the same parallel slanting and hurdle-like arrangements of willow branches it is covered with beech grass and wild oats as well as with the show plant of the neighborhood the dry omnipresent blue sage it offers good walking thanks to the strip of quay formed of tooled and even stone which runs along the extreme limit of the water this gives me a further and in fact favorite possibility of adding variety to my promenades it is true that the unyielding stone is not particularly good going but one is fully recompensed by the intimate proximity of the water then one is also able now and then to walk in the sand beside the quay yes there is real sand there between the gravel and the beach grass sand that is a trifle mixed with clay and not so sacredly pure as that of the sea but nevertheless real sand that has been washed up i am thus able to fancy myself strolling upon a real strand down there inscrutably drawing my foot along the perilous edge of the salt flood there is no lack of surgings even if there is of surges nor of the clamor of gulls nor of that kind of space annihilating monotony which lulls one into a sort of narcotic absent-mindedness the level cataracts are rushing and roaring all around and halfway to the ferryman's house the voice of a waterfall joins the chorus from over yonder where the canal debouching at a slant pours itself into a river the body of this fall is arched smooth glassy like that of a fish and an everlasting boiling tumult goes on at its base it is beautiful here when the sky is blue and the flat ferry decorated with a pennant in honor of the weather or some other festival occasion there are other boats in this spot but the ferry is fastened to a wire rope which in turn is fastened to another and thicker wire cable this is stretched across the river in such a way as to let a pulley run along it the current itself furnishes the motive power for the ferry-boat and a pressure from the ferryman's hand upon the rudder does the rest the ferryman lives in the ferry-house with his wife and child and this house lies a short distance from the upper footpath it has a little garden and a hen-house and is evidently an official dwelling and therefore rent-free it is a kind of villa of lilliputian proportions lightly and whimsically built with little bays and gables and appears to boast of two rooms below and two above i love to sit on the bench in front of a garden close to the upper footpath bashan then squats upon my foot the hens of the ferryman amble about me and give their heads a forward jerk with every step and usually the cock comes to perch upon the back of the bench and lets the green bursagliri feathers of his tail hang down behind sitting beside me thus and measuring me luridly from the side of his red eye i watch the traffic on the ferry it could scarcely be called strenuous nor even lively for it consummates itself at large and liberal intervals 
so i find all the more pleasure in the scene when a man or a woman with a market basket appears on the farther bank and demands to be carried across the river for the poetic element in that fine call fairy ahoy remains full of human captivation as in ancient days even though the action fulfills itself as here in new and progressive forms double steps of wood for the coming and departing traveller lead down the escarpment on both sides into the bed of the river and to the landing places and on both sides there is an electric button affixed to the rail a man appears on the other bank stands still and peers across the water no longer however as in former times does he hollow his hands into a trumpet and shout through them he walks towards the push-button stretches out his arms and performs a slight pressure with his thumb there is a clear thin tinkle in the house of the ferryman this is the modern ferry ahoy and it is poetic even thus there stands the prospective passenger and watches and waits and almost at the very moment at which the bell tinkles the ferryman comes out of his little house just as though he had stood or sat behind the door merely waiting for the signal the ferryman i repeat comes out and in his walk there is something which suggests that he has been set in motion directly by the pressure upon the push-button just as one may shoot at a door in a tiny hut upon the targets in the shooting galleries if you chance to make a bull's-eye it flies open and a tiny figure comes out say a milkmaid or a soldier without showing the slightest sign of undue haste the ferryman walks with swinging arms through his little garden crosses the footpath descends the wooden steps to the river pushes off the ferry and holds the rudder whilst the pulley runs along the taut wire and the boat is driven across by the current the boat bumps against the other bank the stranger jumps in upon reaching the hither bank he hands the ferryman a nickel coin and leaps up the wooden steps with alacrity he has conquered the river and turns either to the right or to the left sometimes when the ferryman is prevented from being at his post either through illness or more urgent household affairs then his wife or even his child will come out of the house and fetch the stranger across they are able to perform this office as well as he even i could attend to it the job of the ferryman is an easy one and requires no special capacity or training surely he is a lucky man this ferrymaster in having such a job and being able to live in the neat dwarf villa any fool would at once be able to step into his place and the knowledge of this keeps him modest and grateful on the way back to his house he greets me very politely with grusgott as i sit there on the wooden bench between the dog and the rooster it is clear that he wishes to remain on a good footing with everyone a smell of tar a wind brushing across the waters and a plashing sound against the wooden sides of the boats what more could i desire sometimes i am seized by another memory of home it comes upon me when the water is deep and still and there is a somewhat musty odour in the air and then these things take me back to the laguna back to venice where i spent so many years of my youth and then again there is storm and there is flood and the everlasting rain comes pouring down wrapped in a rubber coat with wet and streaming face i brace myself against the stiff west wind along the upper way 
a wind that tears the young poplars from their poles and makes it clear why the trees here incline away from the west and have crowns which grow only from one side of the branches when we go walking in rains such as these bashan frequently stands still and shakes himself so that he is the dark centre of a dull grey flurry of water the river at such times is a different river swollen murky yellow it comes rolling on wearing upon its face an ominous catastrophic look this storm flood is full of a lurching crowding tremendous haste an incessant hurry it usurps the entire reserve channel up to the very edge of the escarpment and leaps up against the concrete walls the protective works of willow boughs so that one involuntarily utters thanks to the wise forethought which established these defences the eerie thing about these floodwaters is that the river grows quiet much quieter than usual in fact it becomes almost silent the customary surface rapids are no longer visible the stream rolls too high for these but the spots where these rapids were are to be recognized by the deeper hollows and the higher waves and by the fact that the crests of these waves curl over backwards and not forwards like the waves of the current the waterfall no longer plays a part its glistening curved body is now flat and meagre and the pother at its base has vanished through the height of the water level so far as bashan is concerned his astonishment at such a change in the aspect of things is beyond expression he remains in a state of constant amazement he is unable to realize that the places in which he has been accustomed to trot and run should have vanished should have utterly vanished think of it and that there should be nothing there but water water in his fright he scampers up the escarpment in a kind of panic away from the plunging spattering flood and looks around at me with waggings of his tail after which he casts further dubious glances at the water a kind of embarrassment comes upon him and he gives way to a trick of his opening his mouth obliquely and thrusting his tongue into the corners a play of feature which affects one as being as much human as it is animal as a means of expression it is somewhat unrefined and subservient but thoroughly comprehensible the whole effect is about the same as would be conveyed by a rather simple-minded yokel in the face of an awkward situation provided he went so far as to scratch his head as bashan scratches his neck having occupied myself in some detail with the zone of the river and described the whole region i believe that i have succeeded in giving my readers a picture of it i rather like my own description of the place or rather the place as presented in my description but i like it still better as a piece of nature for there is no doubt that as a piece of living nature it is still more diversified and vivid just as bashan himself is in reality warmer more lively and lovable than in this counterfeit presentment i am attached to this stretch of landscape and grateful to it and so i have described it with somewhat of the meticulosity with which the old dutch masters painted it is my park and my solitude and it is for this reason that i have sought to conjure it up before the reader's eye 
my thoughts and my dreams are mingled and intergrown with its scenes like the leaves of its creepers with the stems of its trees i have looked upon it at all hours and at all seasons in autumn when the chemical smell of the fading leaves fills the air when the white legions of the thistledown have all been blown to the winds when the great beeches of the Kulgarten spread a rust-coloured carpet of leaves about them on the meadows and when afternoons dripping with gold merge into theatrically romantic twilights with the crescent moon swimming in the skies with a milky brew of mist hovering over the levels and the afterglow of the sunset smouldering through the dark silhouettes of the trees and also in winter when all the gravel is covered with snow and soft and smooth so that one may walk upon it in one's rubber overshoes and when the river goes shooting black between the pale frost-bound shores and the cry of hundreds of fresh-water gulls fills the air from morning to evening nevertheless the easiest and most familiar intercourse with this landscape is during the mild months when no special equipment in the way of defensive clothing is necessary and one may go for a quick stroll for a quarter of an hour betwixt and between two showers of rain and in passing bend aside the branch of a black alder tree and cast a look into the wandering waves it is possible that visitors have been to call upon me and i have been left behind stranded as it were within my own four walls crushed by conversation and with the breath of the strangers apparently still hanging in the air it is good then to go at once and loaf for a while along the heine or schiller street to draw a breath of fresh air and to anoint myself with nature i look up to the heavens peer into the green depths of the world of tender and delicate leaves my nerves recover themselves and grow quiet peace and serenity return to my spirit bashan is always with me on such forays he had not been able to prevent an invasion of the house by the outer world in the shape of the visitors even though he had lifted up his voice in loud and terrible protest but that had done no good and so he had stepped aside and now he is jubilant that he and i are once more together in the hunting grounds with one ear turned carelessly inside out and loping obliquely as is the common habit of dogs that is with his hind legs moving not directly behind his front legs but somewhat to the side he goes trotting on the gravel in front of me and suddenly i see that some tremendous emotion has seized him body and soul his short bobbed tail begins to wave furiously his head lunges forward and to one side his body stretches and extends itself he jumps hither and thither and the next moment with his nose still glued to the ground he goes darting off he has struck a scent he is on the spoor of a rabbit End of chapter four part two chapter five of vashon and i by thomas mann this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 5. The Chase, Part 1. The region is rich in game, and so we go a-hunting it. That is to say, Bashan goes hunting, and I look on. In this wise we hunt rabbits, quail, field mice, moles, ducks, and gulls, 
but we do not by any means fight shy of bigger game we also track pheasants and even deer whenever such first-rate quarry as sometimes happens strays into our hunting grounds this always furnishes an exciting spectacle when the long-legged slightly built animals the furtive deer all yellow against the snow and with its white tufted hindquarters bobbing goes flying before little old bashan who is straining every nerve i followed the course of events with the greatest interest and tension it is not as if anything were ever to result from this chase for that has never happened and never will happen but the lack of tangible results does not in the least diminish either bashan's joy or his passion for hunting nor does it in any way minimize my pleasure we pursue the chase for its own sake and not for the sake of prey or booty or any other utilitarian purpose bashan as i have said is the active member he does not expect any save a moral support from me since no personal and immediate experience has taught him a more pronounced and practical manner of cooperation i lay particular stress upon the words personal and immediate for it is more than probable that his ancestors in so far as they belonged to the tribe of setters were familiar with more actual methods of hunting on occasion i have asked myself whether some memory of this might not survive in him and whether this could not be aroused by some accidental impulse it is certain that on bashan's plane of existence the life of the individual is less differentiated from the species than in our case birth and death signify a far less profound vacillation of the balance of being perhaps the inheritance of the blood are more perfectly preserved so that it would merely be an apparent contradiction to speak of inborn experiences unconscious memories which once aroused would be able to confuse the creature in the matter of its own personal experiences and cause it to be dissatisfied with these i once courted this thought but then rid myself of it just as bashan had obviously rid himself of the thought of the brutal incident of which he had been a witness and which gives me occasion for these deliberations when i go forth to hunt with him it usually chances to be noon half-past eleven or twelve o'clock sometimes especially on very warm summer days it may even be late afternoon say six o'clock or later it may be that this is even our second going out in any case my mental and spiritual atmosphere is quite different from what it was during our first careless stroll in the morning the virgin freshness of the early hour has vanished long since i have worried and have struggled in the interval with this or that i have been forced to grit my teeth and overcome one difficulty after the other i have had a tussle with some person or other at the same time i have been obliged to keep some diffuse and complicated matter firmly in mind and my head is weary especially after a successful mastery of the problem hence this going a-hunting with bashan distracts and enlivens me it infuses me with new life putting me into condition for the rest of the day and for triumph over the tasks that are still lowering in my path it is really largely the impulse of gratitude which forces me to describe these hunting trips 
things to be sure are not so neatly arranged that bashan and i could go forth in pursuit of any one special species of the game which i have mentioned that we should for instance specialize on rabbits or ducks no on the contrary we hunt everything that chances to cross our path i had almost said that chances to come within range of our guns we need not go very far in order to strike game the hunt may literally begin immediately outside the garden gate for there are great numbers of field mice and moles in the hollows of the meadows close behind the house to be exact and sportsmanlike i am aware that these fur-bearing animals cannot of course be regarded as game in the strict sense of the term but their secret subterranean habits especially the nimble craftiness of the mice which are not blind of day like their excavating and tunneling brethren and often go gambling upon the surface and then when danger approaches go flicking into the little black burrow without one's being able to distinguish their legs or their movements these things work tremendously upon bashan's hunting instincts these are also the only animals of the wild which occasionally become his prey a field mouse a mole these are tidbits which are not to be despised in such lean and meagre days as these when one often finds nothing more palatable than a thick barley soup in the stoneware bowl beside one's kennel i have scarcely taken a dozen steps with my cane along the popular avenue and bashan has as an overture scarcely got through with his preliminary leaps and lunges than he is seen to be performing the most extraordinary capricoles towards the right he is already gripped by the passion for the chase and is blind and deaf to all things save the exciting but hidden goings-on of the living things about him with every nerve taut and tense waving his tail carefully lifting his feet he goes slinking through the grass sometimes pausing in mid-step with one foreleg and one hind-leg in air then peering with cocked head into the hollows an action which causes the flaps of his erected ears to fall forward on both sides of his eyes and then raising both forepaws he will suddenly jump forward and will stare with dumbfounded expression at a spot where but a moment before there was something and where now there is nothing and then he begins to dig i feel a strong desire to go to him and await the result but then we should never be able to leave the spot bashan would expend his entire stock of joy in the chase right here in this meadow and this stock is meant to last him for the entire day and so i walk on untroubled by any thought that he might not be able to overtake me even though he should remain behind for a long time without having observed in what direction i had gone to him my track and trail are as clear as that of a bit of game should he have lost sight of me he is sure with head lowered between his forepaws to come tearing along this trail i hear the clinking of his brass license tag his firm gallop behind me and then he goes shooting past me and turns with wagging tail once more to report himself on duty out yonder however in the woods or in the broad meadows alongside the brook i often halt and watch when i catch him digging for a mouse even though it should be late and i in danger of exceeding the time i have apportioned for my walk the passionate devotion with which he goes to work is so fascinating to observe his profound enthusiasm is so contagious 
that i cannot but wish him success with all my heart and naturally i also wish to be a witness of this success the spot he is attacking may have made quite an innocent impression in its outward aspect it is let us say some mossy little mound at the foot of a birch and possibly penetrated by its roots but did not my passion hear the quarry scent it perhaps even see it as it switched away he is absolutely certain that his bit of game is sitting there under the earth in some snug runlet or burrow all that is necessary is to get at it and so he goes digging away for all he is worth in absolute devotion to his task and oblivious to the world he proceeds not ragingly but with a certain fine deliberation with the tempered passion of the real sportsman it is wonderful to see his small tiger-striped body beneath the smooth coat of which the ribs align themselves and the muscles play is hollowed is concave in the middle his hindquarters with the stump of a tail vibrating to quick time is erected vertically his head is between his forepaws and thrust into the slant hole he has already dug with averted face he continues with the rapid strokes of his iron claws to tear up the earth more and more lumps of sod pebbles shreds of glass and bits of roots fly all about me sometimes his snortings are heard in the silence of the fields that is when he has succeeded in penetrating some little distance and in wedging his snout into the entrance to the burrow in order by means of his scent to keep check upon the clever still and timid creature within there his breathing sounds muffled he ejects his breath in a blast in order to be able to empty his lungs quickly and to draw in the delicate acrid distant and yet disguised odour of the mice what emotions must surge through the breast of the little animal down there when it hears this hollow and muffled snorting well that is its own affair or perhaps god's affair who has decreed that bashan shall be the enemy and persecutor of these earth mice and then is not fear only an intensified feeling for life if no bashan existed the little mouse would very likely be bored to death and what use or purpose would then be served by its beady-eyed cleverness and its art of swift mining operations factors that fairly well equalize the conditions of the battle so that the success of the party upon the offensive always remains highly problematical even improbable indeed i feel no compassion for the mouse inwardly i take sides with passion and sometimes i cannot remain content with the role of a mere spectator i get my walking-stick into play whenever some firmly bedded pebble some tough cord of a root is in his way and help him to get rid of these obstacles then sometimes in the midst of his hot and furious activity he will throw up his head and bestow upon me a swift and fervent glance of gratitude and approval with munching jaws and glinting teeth he goes working his way into the stubborn fibrous ground tears away clods throws them aside sends his resonant snorts once more into the depths and then fired to renewed action by the provocative scent sets his claws once more into furious action in the great majority of cases this is all love's labor lost 
with the moist earth clinging to his nose and sprinkled about his shoulders bashan makes another quick and superficial survey of the territory and then gives it up and jogs indifferently on there was nothing doing bashan i remarked to him when he chances to look at me nothing doing i repeat shaking my head and raising my brows and my shoulders so as to make the message plainer but it is not at all necessary to comfort him his failure does not depress him for a moment to hunt is to hunt the titbit of game is the least of all considerations it was take it all in all a magnificent effort he thinks in so far as he still happens to think of this violent business he has just been through for now he is already on new adventure bent adventures of which there is indeed no lack in the three zones of this domain sometimes however he happens to catch the mouse and then something occurs which never fails to strike me with horror for bashan devours his prey alive with hide and hair perhaps the unfortunate creature had not been properly advised by its instincts of self-preservation and had chosen a spot for its burrow which was too soft too unprotected and too easily excavated perhaps the little creature's tunnels had not been sunk deep enough or it had been paralyzed by fright and prevented from burrowing to deeper levels or it had perchance lost its head and crouching a few inches under the surface with its little beady eyes popping out of their sockets with horror listened to that terrible snorting coming nearer and nearer no matter the iron claws disinter it uncover it fling it into the air into the pitiless glare of the day hapless little mouse you had good cause to be frightened and it is well that this immense and comprehensible fright has already reduced you to a kind of semi-consciousness for now the tiny rodent is to be converted into pap and pulp bashan has caught it by the tail he tosses it upon the ground twice or thrice a very faint squeak is heard the last that is vouchsafed to the god-forsaken little mouse and then bashan snaps it up and it disappears between his jaws and the white gleaming teeth he stands there with legs four square and forepaws braced his neck is lowered and thrust forth as he chews he catches at the tidbit again and again and throws it into the proper position in his mouth the tiny bones are heard to crack a shred of fur hangs for a moment from the corner of his mouth he draws it in and then all is over bashan then executes a kind of dance of joy and triumph circling around me as i stand leaning on my cane with cold shudders rushing up and down my spine you're a fine fellow i say to him in a kind of gruesome recognition of his victory you scoundrel you murderer you cannibal these words cause him to dance still more wildly and one might say almost to laugh aloud so i proceed on my way somewhat chilled in the limbs owing to the tragedy i have just witnessed and yet inwardly enlightened by the brutal humour of life the thing after all is quite in order in nature's order a mouselet which had been ill-advised by its faulty instincts has simply been converted into pap and pulp nevertheless i am inwardly gratified when in such instances as the foregoing it did not become necessary for me to help along the natural order of things with my cane 
but remained a simple and passive spectator startling and even terrifying is it when some pheasant suddenly bursts from the thicket in which sleeping or waking it had hoped to remain undiscovered some coin of concealment from which bastion's delicate and unobtrusive nose had after a little searching managed to rouse it thumping and flapping with frightened and indignant cries and cacklings the large rust-red and long-tailed bird lifts itself a wing and with all the silly heedlessness of a hen goes scattering upon some tree from which it begins to scold whilst bastion erect against the trunk barks up at the fowl stormily savagely the meaning behind this barking is clear it says plainly enough get off get off that perch tend to business fly off so i can have my bit of fun get off i want to chase you the pheasant cannot apparently resist this powerful voice and off it scuds making its way with heavy flight through the branches still cackling and complaining whilst bastion full of manly silence pursues it smartly along the level ground this is sufficient for bastion's bliss his wish and his will go no farther what would have happened had he caught the bird nothing i assure you absolutely nothing i once saw him with the bird between his claws he had probably come upon it whilst it lay in deep sleep so that the clumsy thing had had no time to lift itself from the ground on that occasion bastion had stood over the fowl an utterly bewildered victor and did not know what to do next with one wing raked wide open and with its beak drawn aside to the very limit of its neck the pheasant lay in the grass and screamed screamed without a single pause a passer-by might have thought that some old woman was being murdered in the bushes i hurried up bent upon preventing something horrible but i was soon convinced that there was nothing to fear bastion's all too conspicuous confusion the half-curious half-disgusted mien with which head aslant he looked down upon his prisoner assured me of that this old wife's screeching and dinning in his ears very likely got upon his nerves the whole affair apparently caused him more embarrassment than triumph was it in victory or in shame that he pulled a couple of feathers out of his victim's dress very very cautiously with his mouth refraining from all use of his teeth and then threw them aside with an angry toss of his head he followed this tribute to his predatory instincts by taking his paw off his victim and letting it go free not out of magnanimity to be sure but simply because the situation bored him and because it really had nothing in common with the stir and gaiety of the chase never had i seen a more astonished bird it had closed its account with life and for a brief space it seemed that it no longer knew what used to make of life for it lay in the grass as though dead it then tottered along the ground for a bit swung clumsily upon a tree appeared about to fall from it summoned its strength and then with heavily dragging feathery raiment went fluttering off into the distance it no longer squawked but kept its bill shut silently the bird flew across the park the river the forest beyond the river away away as far as its short wings could carry it it is certain that this particular pheasant never returned to this particular spot there are however a good many of his breed in our hunting grounds 
and bashan hounds and hunts them in an honourable sportsmanlike manner and according to the rules of the game the only real blood guilt that lies heavily upon his head is the devouring of the field mice and this too appears as something incidental and negligible it is the scenting out the drive the pursuit which serve him as a noble end in themselves all who were able to observe him at this brilliant game would come to the same conclusion how beautiful he grows how ideal how perfect to the end and purpose it is thus that the awkward and loutish peasant lad of the hills becomes perfect and picturesque when you see him standing amidst the rocks and cliffs as a hunter of the gemshock all that is noble genuine and fine in bashan is driven to the surface and achieves a glorious efflorescence in such hours as these that is why he pants for these hours with such intensity and why he suffers so poignantly when they pass unused bashan is no toy spaniel he is the veritable woodsman and pathfinder such as figure heroically in books a great joy in himself in his own existence cries from every one of the martial masculine and striking poses which he assumes and which succeed one another with almost cinematographic rapidity there are few things which are able so to refresh my eyes as the sight of him as he goes sailing through the underbrush in a light feathering trot and then suddenly stands at gaze with one paw daintily raised and bent inward sagacious vigilant impressive with all his faculties in a radiant intensification and then amidst all this imposing statuesqueness it is possible that he may give vent to a sudden squeak or yelp occasioned very likely by having caught his foot in something thorny but this too is all in order with the course of nature and with the perfection of the picture this cheery readiness to be splendidly simple it is capable of diminishing his dignity only as a breath dims a mirror the superbness of his carriage is restored the very next moment i look upon him my bashan and i am reminded of a time during which he lost all his pride and his gallant poise and was once more reduced to that condition of bodily and mental dejection in which we first saw him in the kitchen of that tavern in the mountains and from which he so painfully lifted himself to a faith in his own personality and in life i do not know what ailed him he began to bleed from the mouth or the nose or the ears even to-day i have no clear idea of his particular malady but wherever he went in those days he left marks of blood behind him in the grass of the hunting-grounds in the straw of his kennel on the floor of the house when he entered it and yet there was no external injury anywhere visible at times his entire nose seemed to be covered with red paint whenever he sneezed he would send forth a spray of blood and then he would step in the drops and leave brick-red impressions of his paws wherever he went careful examinations were made but these led to no results and thus brought about increased anxieties were his lungs attacked or was he afflicted by some mysterious distemper of which we had never heard something to which his breed was subject since the strange as well as unpleasant phenomena did not cease after some days 
it was decided that he must go to the dog's hospital kindly but firmly bashan's master imposed upon him on the day following it was about noon the leathern muzzle that mask of stubborn meshes which bashan loathes above all things and of which he always seeks to rid himself by violent shakings of his head and furious rubbings of his paws he was fastened to the braided leash and thus harnessed was led up the avenue on the left-hand side then through the local park and a suburban street into the group of buildings belonging to the high school we passed beneath the portal and crossed the courtyard we then entered a waiting-room against the walls of which sat a number of persons all of whom like myself held a dog on a leash dogs of different breeds and sizes who regarded one another with melancholy eyes through their leather muzzles there was an old and motherly dame with her fat and apoplectic pug a footman in livery with a tall and snow-white russian deerhound who emitted from time to time a dry and aristocratic cough a countryman with a dachshund apparently a case for orthopedic science since all his feet were planted upon his body in the most crooked and distorted manner and many others the attendant at this veterinary clinic admitted the patients one after the other into the adjoining consulting-room at length the door to this was also open for me and bashan the professor was a man of advanced age and was clad in a long white operating coat he wore gold-rimmed spectacles his head was crowned with grey curls and his whole manner was so amiable and conveyed such an air of wise kindliness that i would immediately have entrusted myself and my family to him in any emergency whilst i gave him my account of things he smiled paternally upon his patient who sat there in front of him and turned up to him a pair of humble and trustful eyes he's got fine eyes said the doctor without allowing bashan's hybrid goatee to disturb him and declared that he was ready to make an investigation at once bashan quite helpless with astonishment was now with the aid of the attendant spread upon the table it was moving to see how the old doctor applied the stethoscope to the breast of the tiger-striped little mannequin and performed his auscultation just as i had seen it done in my case more than once he listened to the swift workings of the tiny canine heart and sounded his entire organic internal functions from different points of his exterior hereupon tucking his stethoscope under his arm he began to examine bashan's eyes with both hands his nose as well as the roof of his mouth and then ventured upon delivering a preliminary prognosis the dog said he was a trifle nervous and anemic but otherwise in good condition it might be epitaxis or hematothemesis but it might also be a case of tracheal or pharyngeal hemorrhage this was by no means precluded for the present one would be most inclined to call it a case of hemoptysis it was necessary to keep the animal under careful observation i should do best to leave him here and then call and inquire again in the course of a week thus instructed i expressed my thanks and gave bashan a farewell pat on the shoulder i saw how the attendant led bashan across the courtyard towards the entrance to a building at the rear and how bashan with a bewildered and anxious expression on his face looked back at me
and yet he should have felt flattered just as i could not help feeling flattered by hearing the professor declare him to be nervous and anemic no one who had stood at his cradle could ever have imagined that it was written in his horoscope that he was one day to be said to be suffering from two such fashionable ailments or that medical science would be called in to deliberate over him with such gravity and solicitude from that day on my walks were to me what unsalted food is to the palate they gave me little pleasure no silent tumult of joy burst upon me when i went out under way no proud high mad helter-skelter of the chase surrounded me the park seemed to me desolate i was bored i did not fail to make inquiries by telephone during the interval of waiting the answer communicated from some subordinate quarter was to the effect that the health of the patient was as good as could be expected under the circumstances circumstances which for good reasons or for bad one did not trouble to designate more clearly as soon as the day arrived on which i had taken bashan to the veterinary institution and the week was up i once more made my way to the place guided by numerous signboards with inscriptions and pointing hands liberally affixed to walls and doors i managed without going astray to negotiate the door of the clinical department which sheltered bashan in accordance with the command upon an enamelled plate on the door i forbore to knock and walked in the rather large room in which i found myself gave me the impression of a wild beast house in a menagerie the atmosphere incidental to such a house also prevailed here with the exception that the odour of the menagerie seemed to be mingled here with all kinds of sweetish medicinal vapours a cloying and rather disturbing mixture cages with bars were set all around the walls and nearly all of them were occupied resolute barks saluted me from one of these a man evidently the keeper was busy with a rake and a shovel before the open door of one of these cages he was pleased to respond to my greeting without interrupting his work and then left me for the present entirely to my own impressions end of chapter five part one chapter five of bashan and i by thomas mann this LibriVox recording is in the public domain chapter five the chase part two my first survey of the scene whilst the door was still open had at once revealed to me the whereabouts of bashan and so i went up to him he lay behind the bars of his cage upon some loose stuff which must have been made of tan bark or something similar and which added its own peculiar aroma to the odour of the animals and of the carbolic acid or lysiform he lay there like a leopard though a very weary very disinterested and disappointed leopard i was shocked by the sullen indifference with which he greeted my entrance and advance he merely gave a feeble thump or two upon the floor of his cage with his tail and only after i had spoken to him did he deign to raise his head from his paws and only to drop it again almost immediately and to blink moodily to one side a stoneware vessel full of water stood at the back of his cage outside attached to the bars of his cage there was a small wooden frame with a card partly printed partly handwritten 
which contain an account of bashan's name breed sex and age beneath this there was a fever index curve bastard setter i read name bashan male two years old brought in on such and such a day and month of the year to be observed for occult hemorrhages and then followed the curve of bashan's temperature drawn in ink and showing no great variations there are also details in figures regarding the frequency of bashan's pulse so his temperature was being taken and even his pulse counted nothing was lacking in this respect it was his frame of mind which occasioned me worry is that one yarn asked the attendant who implements in hand had in the meantime approached me he was a stocky round-bearded and red-cheeked man wearing a kind of gardener's apron with brown somewhat bloodshot eyes the moist and honest glances of which had something astonishingly dog-like in them i answered his question in the affirmative referred to the order i had received to call again to-day to the telephone conversations i had carried on and declared that i had come to see how everything stood the man cast a glance at the card yes he said the dog was suffering from occult hemorrhages and that kind of thing always took a long time especially if one didn't know where the hemorrhages came from well wasn't that always the case no one didn't know anything about it as yet but the dog was there to be observed and he was being observed the hemorrhages were still occurring were they yes they came on now and then and they were being observed yes most carefully has he any fever i asked trying to make something out of the chart hanging on the bars no no fever the dog had quite a normal temperature and pulse about ninety beats in the minute that was the normal number that was about right they ought not to be less but if they were fewer then he would have to be observed still more sharply the dog if it wasn't for these here occult hemorrhages was really in pretty good condition of course he had howled at first a full twenty-four hours but after that he got used to things of course he didn't eat much but then he got very little exercise and it was also a question of how much he was accustomed to eat what food did they give him soup said the man but as he had already remarked the dog didn't eat much of it he has a very depressed look i said affecting an expert air yes no doubt of that said the man but then that didn't really mean much for it wasn't very nice for a dog to have to be cooped up in that way and be observed they were all depressed more or less that is to say the good-natured ones but there were some as got mean and nasty but he couldn't say as this here dog had this dog of mine was a good-natured sort and wouldn't think of biting even though one were to observe him till doomsday i agreed with what the man said though indignation and anxiety gnawed at my heart how long i asked him did one think it was necessary to keep bashan here the man cast another glance at the chart another week he remarked would be necessary to observe him properly that's what the professor had said i might come after another week and inquire again that would make two weeks in all and then i would be able to get exact information about the dog and about curing his occult hemorrhages i went after i had made another attempt to cheer up bashan's spirits by talking to him 
but he was as little affected by my going away as by my coming he seemed to be oppressed by a feeling of dark hopelessness and contempt since you have been capable his attitude seemed to declare of having me put into this cage i expect nothing more from you and was it not in truth enough to make him despair of all reason and justice what had he done that this should happen to him how came it that i not only permitted it but even took the initial steps i had meant to act well by him he had begun to bleed from the nose and though this did not appear to disturb him in any way i had nevertheless thought it fitting that veterinary science should be consulted as befitted a dog in good circumstances and i had also learned that he was rather anemic and nervous like the daughter of an earl how could i know that such a fate awaited him how could i make him understand that he was having honours and attention bestowed upon him by being locked behind bars like a jaguar in being deprived of air sunshine and exercise and instead of being able to enjoy these blessings tormented with a thermometer day after day such were the questions which i put to myself as i walked home whilst i had up to then only missed bashan i now began to be afflicted with a positive anxiety for him for the welfare of his soul and was forced to contend with doubt and self-accusatory thoughts after all was it not mere vanity and egoistic conceit which had induced me to take him to this canine infirmary besides was it not possible that a secret wish had been the well-spring of this action a wish to get rid of him for a time a certain ignoble curiosity to free myself from his incessant watching and to see how it would feel to be able to turn calmly to the right or to the left without bringing about emotional cataclysms in the animated world without emotional tempests whether of joy or sorrow or bitter disillusionment it was not to be denied since bashan's internment i was enjoying a definite feeling of independence such as i had not known for a long time when i glanced through the glass door of my study there was no one there to annoy me with the spectacle of his martyrdom of patience no one came with paw hesitatingly raised so that giving away to a burst of pitying laughter i should be forced to deny my own fixed resolution and go forth earlier than i had intended no one questioned my right to go into the house or into the park just as the spirit moved me this was a comfortable condition of things quieting and full of the charm of novelty but as the accustomed incentive was lacking i almost ceased to go walking at all my health suffered in consequence and whilst my condition grew to be remarkably like that of bashan in his cage i indulged in the moral reflection that the fetters of sympathy would have been more conducive to my own comfort than the egoistic freedom for which i had panted the second week elapsed in good time and so on the day appointed i and the bearded attendant stood once more in front of bashan's barred habitation the inmate lay upon his side stretched out in a posture of absolute indifference upon the tan bark of his cage bits of which flecked his coat 
he was staring backward at the chalky wall of his prison with eyes that were glassy and dull he did not move his breathing was scarcely perceptible only from time to time his chest which displayed every rib rose in a sob which he breathed forth with a soft and heart-rending tremulo of his vocal cords his legs seemed to have grown too long his paws huge and unshapely due to his horrible emaciation his coat was extremely rough and dishevelled and crushed and as already remarked soiled from wallowing in the tan bark he paid no attention to me and it seemed that he would never again be able to summon up enough energy to take an interest in anything the hemorrhages said the attendant had not quite disappeared they still happened now and then their origin was not as yet quite clear but in any case they were of a harmless nature i was free to leave the dog there for a still longer period of observation in order to make quite sure or i might take him home with me where he would no doubt get rid of the evil all in good time i then drew out the plated leather leash from my pocket and said that i would take bashan with me the attendant thought that would be very sensible he opened the barred door and we both called bashan by name alternately and both together but he did not stir he merely kept staring at the whitewashed wall opposite he made no resistance when i thrust my arm into the cage and pulled him out by the collar he gave a kind of convulsive flounce about and landed on his legs on the floor there he stood with his tail between his legs his ears retracted and a very picture of misery i picked him up gave the attendant a tip and left the ward of this canine hospital i then proceeded to pay my bill in the office of the institution this bill at seventy-five finnigs a day and the veterinary's fee for the first examination amounted to twelve marks fifty finnigs i then led bashan home clothed in the stern yet swedish atmosphere of the clinic which still permeated my companion's coat he was broken in body and in soul animals are more unrestrained and primitive less subject to inhibition of all kinds and therefore in a certain sense more human in the physical expression of their moods than we forms and figures of speech which survive among us only in a kind of mental or moral translation or as metaphors are still true and valid when applied to them they live up to the expression in the fullest freshest sense of the term and in this there is something wonderfully enlivening to the eye fashion as one would say let his head hang or had a hang-dog look he did actually hang his head hung it low like some rack of a worn-out cab-horse which with abscesses on its legs and periodical shivers undulant along its sides stands at its post with a hundredweight of woe pulling its poor nose swarming with flies towards the pavement these two weeks at the veterinary high school as i have already said had reduced him to the very condition in which i had first found him in the foothills perhaps i ought to say that he was only the shadow of himself if this would not be an insult to the proud and joyous passion the smell of the dog hospital which he had brought with him vanished in the wash trays after several ablutions with soap and hot water vanished 
all save a few floating and rebellious whiffs a bath may be said to exercise a spiritual influence may be said to possess a symbolic significance to us human beings but no one would dare to say that the physical cleansing of poor bashan meant the restoration of his customary spirits i took him to the hunting grounds on the very first day of his homecoming but he went slinking at my heels with silly look and lolling tongue and the pheasants were jubilant over a close season at home he would remain lying for days as i had last seen him stretched out in his cage at the hospital and staring with glassy eyes inwardly limp and without a trace of his wholesome impatience without making a single attempt to force me to go forth for a walk on the contrary i was forced to fetch him from his berth at the tiny door of his kennel and to spur him on and up even the wild and indiscriminate way in which he wolfed his food reminded me of his sordid youth and then it was a great joy to see how he found himself again how his greeting gradually took on the old warm-hearted playful impetuosity how instead of coming towards me with a sullen limp he would once more come storming upon me in swift response to my morning whistle so that he might put his forepaws on my chest and snap at my face it was wonderful to see how the joy in his mere body and in his senses returned to him in the wide spaces and the open air and to observe those daring and picturesque positions he would assume those swift plunging pounces with drawn-up feet which he would make upon some tiny creature in the high grass all these things came back and refreshed my eyes bashan began to forget that hateful incident of his internment an incident so absolutely senseless from bashan's point of view sank into oblivion unredeemed to be sure unexplained by any clear understanding something which after all would have been impossible but time swallowed it up and enveloped it even as time must heal these things where human beings are concerned and so we went on with our lives as before whilst the inexpressible thing sank deeper and deeper into forgetfulness for some weeks longer it happened that bashan would occasionally sport an incarnadined nose then the phenomenon vanished and became a thing of the past and so after all it mattered little whether it had been a case of epistaxis or of hemothymesis there i have told the story of the clinic against my own better resolution may the reader forgive this lengthy digression and return with me to the chase in the hunting grounds which we had interrupted ah have you ever heard that tearful yowling with which a dog mustering his utmost forces takes up the pursuit of a rabbit in flight that yowling in which fury and bliss longing and ecstatic despair mix and mingle how often have i heard bashan give vent to this it is a grand passion desired sought for and deliriously enjoyed which goes ringing through the landscape and every time this wild cry comes to my ear from near or far i am given a shock of pleasant fright and the thrill goes tingling through all my limbs then i hurry forwards or to the left or right rejoicing that bashan is to get his money's worth to-day and i strive mightily to bring the chase within my range of vision 
and when this chase goes storming past me in full and furious career i stand banned and tense even though the negative outcome of the venture is certain from the beginning and i look on whilst an excited smile draws taut the muscles of my face and what of the rabbit the timid the tricky he switches his ears through the air crooks his head backwards at an angle and runs for dear life in long lunging leaps throwing his whitish yellow scut into the air thus he goes scratching and scudding in front of bastion who is howling inwardly and yet the rabbit in the depths of his fearsome and flighty soul ought to know that he is in no serious danger and that he will manage to escape just as his brothers and sisters and he himself have always managed to escape not once in all his life has bashan managed to catch a single rabbit and it is practically beyond the bounds of possibility that he ever should many dogs as the old proverb goes bring about the death of the rabbit a clear proof that a single dog cannot manage it for the rabbit is a master of the quick and sudden turnabout a feat quite beyond the capacity of bashan and it is this feat which decides the whole matter it is an infallible weapon and an attribute of the animal that is born to fight with flight a means of escape which can be applied at any moment and which it carries in its instincts in order to put it into use at precisely that moment when victory is almost within bashan's grasp and alas bashan is then betrayed and sold here they come shooting diagonally through the woods flash across the path on which i am standing and then go dashing towards the river the rabbit dumb and bearing his inherited trick in his heart bashan yammering in high and heady tones no howling now i say or think to myself you are wasting strength strength of lung strength of breath which you ought to be saving up and concentrating so that you can grab him i am forced to think thus because i am on bashan's side because his passion is infectious imperatives which force me to hope fervently that he will succeed even at the peril of seeing him tear the rabbit to pieces before my eyes ah how he runs how beautiful it is how edifying to see a living creature unfolding all its forces in some supreme effort my dog runs better than this rabbit his muscular system is stronger the distance between them has visibly diminished ere they are lost to sight i leave the path and hurry through the park towards the left going in the direction of the river bank i emerge upon the gravelly street just in time to see the mad chase come ravening on from the right the hopeful infinitely thrilling chase for bashan is almost at the heels of the rabbit he is silent now he is running with his teeth set the close proximity of the scent urges him to the final effort one last plunge bashan i think and would like to shout to him just one more aim well keep cool and beware of the turnabout but these thoughts have scarcely flashed through my brain than the turnabout the hook the volte face has taken place the catastrophe is upon us my gallant dog makes the decisive forward lunge but at the selfsame moment there is a short jerk and with pert and limber swiftness the rabbit switches aside at a right angle to the course 
and bashan goes shooting past the hindquarters of his quarry shooting straight ahead howling desperate and with all his feet stemmed as brakes so that the dust and gravel go flying by the time he has overcome his momentum flung himself right about and gained leeway in the new direction whilst i say he has done this in agony of soul and with wailings of woe the rabbit has won a considerable handicap towards the woods yes he is even lost to the eyes of his pursuer for during the convulsive application of his four brakes the pursuer could not see whither the pursued had turned it's no use i think it may be beautiful but it is surely futile the wild pursuit vanishes in the distance of the park and in the opposite direction there ought to be more dogs five or six a whole pack of dogs there ought to be dogs to cut him off on the flank dogs to cut him off ahead dogs to drive him into a corner dogs to be in at the death and in my mind's eye in my excitement i behold a whole pack of foxhounds with lolling tongues go storming upon the rabbit in their midst i think these things and dream these dreams out of a sheer passion for the chase for what has the rabbit done to me that i should wish him to meet with so terrible an end it is true that bashan is closer to me than the long-eared one and it is quite in order that i should share his feelings and accompany him with my good wishes for his success but then the rabbit is also a warm furry breathing bit of our common life he has played his trick upon my hunting dog not out of malice but out of the urgent wish to be able to nibble soft tree shoots a little longer and to bring forth young nevertheless my thoughts continue to weave themselves about the matter and about as for example it would of course be quite another matter if this and i lift and regard the walking-stick in my hand if this cane here were not so useless and benign an instrument but a thing of more serious construction and constitution pregnant with lightning and operative at a distance by means of which i could come to the assistance of the gallant bashan and hold up the rabbit so that he would remain flop upon the spot after doing a fine assalto mortale then there would be no need of other hounds and bashan would have done his duty if he had merely brought me the rabbit the way things shape themselves however it is bashan who sometimes goes tumbling head over heels when he tries to meet and counter that damnable quick turn and sometimes it is also the rabbit who does the somersault though this is a mere trifle to the latter something quite in order and inconsequential and certainly by no means identified with any feeling of abject misery for bashan however it means a severe concussion which might some time or other lead to his breaking his neck often a rabbit chase comes to an end in a few minutes that is to say when the rabbit succeeds after a few hot lengths of running in ducking into the underbrush and hiding or in throwing his pursuer off his trail by means of feints and quick double turns so that the four-legged hunter sorely puzzled and uncertain jumps hither and thither whilst i shout bloodthirsty advice to him and with frantic gesticulations of my cane try to point out to him the direction in which i saw the rabbit escape sometimes the hunt extends itself throughout the length and breadth of the landscape 
so that bastian's voice wildly yowling sounds like a hunting horn ringing through the regions from afar now nearer and now farther away whilst i awaiting his return calmly go my ways and great heavens in what a condition he does return foam drips from his jaws his thighs are lax and hollow his ribs flutter his tongue hangs long and loose from his maw inordinately gaping something which causes his drunken and swimming eyes to appear distorted and slant mongolian the while his breathing goes like a steam-engine lie down bashan i command him take a rest or you'll have apoplexy of the lungs i halt so as to give him time to recover in winter when there is a cold frost and i see him pumping the icy air with hoarse pantings into his overheated interior and then puffing it forth in the form of white steam or else swallowing whole handfuls of snow in order to cool his thirst i grow quite terrified nevertheless whilst he lies there gazing up at me with confused eye now and again snapping up his dribblings i cannot refrain from poking a bit of fun at him because of the unalterable futility of his efforts bashan where's that rabbit aren't you going to fetch me that rabbit then he begins to thump the ground with his tail and interrupts for a moment whilst i am speaking the spasmodic pumping machinery of his sides he snaps in embarrassment for he does not know that my ridicule is intended merely to conceal from him and from myself an accretion of shame and guilty conscience because i on my part was not man enough to hold up the rabbit as is the duty of a real master he is unaware of all this and so it is easy for me to make fun and to put the matter as though he were in some way to blame strange things sometimes occur during these hunts i shall never forget how the rabbit once ran into my very arms it happened along the river or rather upon the small and clayey bank above it bashan was in full cry after his quarry and i was approaching the zone of the river bank from the direction of the wood i broke through the thistle stalks along the gravel slope and sprang down the grass-covered declivity on to the path at the very moment that the rabbit with bashan some fifteen paces behind him was coming towards me in long bounds from the direction of the ferryman's house towards which i was turning bunny came running along the middle of the path straight towards me my first hunter-like and hostile impulse was to take advantage of the situation and to bar his way driving him if possible back into the jaws of his pursuer who came on yelping in poignant joy there i stood as though rooted to the spot and slave that i was to the fever of the chase i simply balanced the stick in my hand whilst the rabbit came nearer and nearer i knew that a rabbit's vision is very poor that alone the sense of hearing and the sense of smell are able to convey warnings to him he might therefore possibly mistake me for a tree as i stood there it was my plan and my lively desire that he should do this and so succumb to a fatal error the consequences of which were not quite clear to me but of which i nevertheless thought to make use whether the rabbit really made such an error during the course of his advance is not quite clear i believe that he noticed me only at the very last moment 
for what he did was so unexpected that all my schemes and deliberations were at once reduced to nothing and a deep sudden startling change took place in my state of mind was the little animal beside itself with mortal fear enough it leaped upon me just like a little dog ran up my overcoat with its tiny paws and still upright struggled to bore itself into the depths of my chest the terrible chest of the master of the chase with upraised arms and my body bent backwards i stood there and looked down upon the rabbit who on his part looked up at me we stood thus for only a second perhaps it was only the fraction of a second but thus and there we stood i saw him with such strange disconcerting minuteness saw his long ears of which one stood upright whilst the other hung down saw his great clear protuberant short-sighted eyes his rough lip and the long hairs of his whiskers the white on his breast and the little paws i felt or seemed to feel the pounding of his harried little heart it was very strange to see him thus plainly and to have him so close to me the little familiar spirit of the place the secret throbbing heart of the landscape this ever evasive creature which i had seen only for a few brief moments in its meadows and downs as it went scudding comically away and now in the extremity of its need and helplessness it was nestling up against me and clutching my coat clutching at the very breast of a man not the man it seemed to me who was bashan's master but the breast of one who was also the master of the rabbit and of bashan and of bashan's master this lasted as i have said only a brief moment or so and then the rabbit had dropped off had once more taken to his unequal legs and jumped down the escarpment to the left whilst bashan had now arrived in his place bashan with horrible hue and cry and with all the heady tones of his frenetic hunting howls all of which suffered swift interruption on his arrival for a well-aimed blow of the stick delivered with malice prepense by the master of the rabbit sent him yelping with smarting hindquarters down the slope to the right up which he was forced to climb with a limp before he was once more able after considerable delay to take up the trail of the no longer visible quarry End of chapter five part two Chapter Five of Bashan and I by Thomas Mann. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five: The Chase, Part Three. And then, finally, there is the hunt after waterfowl, to which I must also dedicate a few lines. This hunt can take place only during winter, in the colder part of the spring, before the birds migrate from their quarters near the city to the lakes the suburbs here serving them merely as a kind of emergency halting place in obedience to the demands of the stomach this hunt is less exciting than the rabbit hunt is likely to be but like this it has something that is attractive both to hunter and to hound or rather to the hunter and his master the master is captivated by these forays after the wild fowl chiefly in consideration of the landscape since the friendly nearness of the water is connected with them but also because it diverts and edifies him to study the form of life practised by these swimmers and flyers 
thus emerging a little out of his own rut and experimenting with theirs the attitude towards life assumed by the ducks is more amiable more bourgeois and more comfortable than that of the gulls nearly always they appear to be full and contented little troubled by the cares of subsistence no doubt because they always chance to find what they seek and because the table so to speak is always set for them for as i observe they eat nearly everything worms snails insects or even green ooze from the water and enjoy vast stretches of leisure which enable them to sit and sun themselves on the stones with bills tucked comfortably under one wing for a little siesta or preening and oiling of their plumage so that it does not come into contact with the water at all but rather causes this to purl off from the surface in a string of nervous drops or you may catch them going for a mere pleasure ride or swim upon the racing stream lifting their pointed tails into the air and turning and twisting and shrugging their shoulders in bland self-satisfaction but in the nature of the gulls there is something wild and hectic dreary and sad and monotonous they are invested with an air of desperate and hungry depredation almost all day long they go crying around the waterfall in bevies and in slant transverse flight or curving about the place where the brownish waters pour from the mouths of the great pipes into the stream for the swift darting plunge for fish which some of these gulls practice is scarcely sufficiently rich in results to still their raw and raging mass hunger and the tit-bits with which they are frequently forced to content themselves as they swoop above the overflows and carry away mysterious fragments in their bent beaks must sometimes be far from appetizing they do not like the banks of the river but when the water is low they stand and huddle in close crowds upon the rocks which are then free of water and these they cover with their white feathery masses just as the crags and islets of the northern seas squirm and writhe with untold numbers of nesting eider ducks when bashan barking from the shore across the intervening flood threatens their security then it is a fine sight to see them all rise simultaneously into the air with loud cries and caws but there is no need of their feeling themselves menaced there is no real danger for quite apart from his inborn aversion to water bashan harbors a very wise and entirely justifiable fear of the current of the river he knows that his strength could not possibly cope with this and that it would infallibly bear him off god knows whither or to what distances presumably as far as the danube where he would arrive however in an extremely disfigured condition this is a contingency of which we have already had ocular evidence in the shape of bloated cadavers of cats which were en route to those far-off parts he will never venture into the river farther than the first submerged stones that line the bank even though the fierce and ecstatic lust of the chase should be tugging at his limbs even though he should wear a mean as though he were about to plunge himself into the waves yes the very next moment full confidence however may be placed in his caution which remains active and vigilant beneath all this external show of passionate abandon there is a distinct purpose behind all these mimetic onsets 
these spectacular preparations for action they are empty threats which in the last analysis are not really dictated by passion at all but are calculated with the utmost sang-froid merely to intimidate the web-footed foe but the gulls true to their names are far too poorly equipped in head and heart to be capable of mocking his efforts bashan cannot get at them but he can send his barks against them send his voice thundering across the water this voice has the effect of something material an onset which flutters them and cows them and which they are unable to resist for long true they make the attempt to do so they remain seated but an uneasy movement goes through the writhing mass they turn their heads ever and anon one of them will lift its wings upon a chance until suddenly the whole crew like a whitish cloud from the core of which come bitter and fatalistic cause goes rustling and rushing up into the air with bashan jumping about hither and thither on the stones in order to scare and scatter them and keep them in motion for that is the thing to do to keep them in motion they must not be permitted to rest they must fly upstream and downstream so that he may chase them bashan goes scouring along the banks nosing along their entire length for everywhere there are ducks at rest with bills tucked cunningly and comfortably under their wings and wherever he chances to go they fly up in front of his nose so that his progress is like a gay sweeping clean and whirling up of the entire strip of sand they glide and plump into the water which buoys and turns them about in security or they go flying over his head with bills and necks outstretched whilst bashan running along the bank measures the power of his legs with that of their pinions he is ravished and grateful if they will but fly if they will only deign to give him an opportunity for a bit of glorious coursing up and down the river they are no doubt aware of these wishes of his and are even capable of utilizing them for their own benefit i saw a mother duck with her brood it was in the spring and the river was already void of birds this one alone had remained behind with her young who were not yet able to fly and she was guarding them in a slime-covered puddle which had been left by the last flood water and which filled a depression in the dry bed of the stream it was there that bashan chanced upon them i observed the scene from the upper way he sprang into the puddle sprang into it with barkings and savage truculent motions and scattered the family of ducks in a most deplorable fashion to be sure he did no harm to any member of this family but he frightened them all beyond expression and the ducklings flapping their stumps of wings plunged wildly in all directions the mother duck however was seized by that maternal heroism which will hurl itself blindly and full of mad courage even against the most formidable foe in order to protect the brood and which frequently knows how to bewilder and fluster this foe by a delirious courage which apparently exceeds the limits of nature with every feather ruffled and with bill horribly agape the bird fluttered repeatedly against bashan's face in attack after attack making one heroic offensive after another against him hissing portentously the while and actually her wild and uncompromising aspect brought about a confused retreat on the part of the enemy 
without however inducing him to quit the field of battle for good for with a great hullabaloo and clamour he still persisted in advancing anew the duck mother thereupon changed her tactics and chose the part of wisdom since heroism had shown itself to be impractical it is more than likely that she knew bashan from some previous experience was fully acquainted with his weaknesses and childish desires so she abandoned her little ones that is she apparently abandoned them she took refuge in cunning flew up flew across the river pursued by bashan pursued as was his firm belief whilst in reality it was she who led him led him by the fool's tether of his dominant passion she flew with the stream then against it farther and farther whilst bashan raced beside her so far downstream and away from the puddle with the ducklings that i lost sight of both the duck and the dog as i walked on later on my good dolt came back to me quite winded and panting furiously but when we again passed that puddle it was empty of its erstwhile tenants such were the tactics of the mother duck and bashan was sincerely grateful but he abominates those ducks who in the sleek placidity of their bourgeois-like existence refuse to serve him as objects of the hunt and who whenever he comes tearing along simply let themselves slip into the water from the stones along the banks and then in ignoble security rock themselves before his nose not impressed in the least by his mighty voice and not in the least deceived like the nervous gulls by his theatrical lunges towards the river there we stand on the stones side by side bashan and i and there two paces from us in insolent security the duck sways lightly upon the waves with her bill pressed in pretentious dignity against her breast and though stormed at by bashan's maddened voice absolutely undisturbed in her serenity soberness and common sense she keeps rowing against the current so that she remains approximately in about the same spot for all that she is drawn a little downstream only a yard or two from her there is a whirlpool a beautiful foaming cascade towards which she turns her conceited and upstanding tail bashan barks and braces his forefeet against the stones and inwardly i bark with him for i cannot forbear sharing some of his feelings of hatred against the duck and her cool insolent matter-of-factness and so i hope that evil may overtake her pay at least some attention to our barking is the mental speech i hurl at her and not to the rapids so that you may be drawn by accident into the whirlpool and thus expose yourself to danger and discomfiture before our eyes but this angry hope of mine is also doomed to remain unfulfilled for precisely at the moment when she nears the edge of the cascade in the stream the duck flutters a bit and flies a few yards upstream and sits down in the water once more the shameless hussy i am unable to think of the vexation with which we both contemplate the duck under these circumstances without recalling to mind an adventure which i shall recount at the close it was attended by a certain satisfaction for me and my companion and yet there was something painful in it something disturbing and confusing yes it even led to a temporary chill in the relationship between bashan and myself and could i have foreseen this i would rather have avoided the spot where this adventure awaited us 
it was a good distance out and downstream and beyond the ferryman's house there where the wilderness of the river bank approaches close to the upper road along the river we were going along this i with a leisurely step and bashan a trifle in front of me with an easy and somewhat lopsided lope he had been chasing a rabbit or if you prefer had permitted himself to be chased by him he had also rooted out three or four pheasants and was now graciously minded to pay a little attention to me so that his master might not feel utterly neglected a small bevy of ducks with extended necks and in triangular formation flew over the river they were flying pretty high and closer to the other bank than to ours so that we could not consider them as game at all so far as hunting purposes were concerned they flew in the direction in which we were walking without regarding us or even being aware of our presence and we too merely cast a desultory and intentionally indifferent glance at them it then came to pass that on the farther bank which was of the same steepness as our own a man came beating out of the bushes as soon as he had stepped upon the scene of action he assumed a pose which caused both of us bashan as well as myself to halt and to turn round and face him and watch what he would do he was a rather tall fine figure of a man somewhat rough and ready so far as his externals were concerned he had drooping moustaches and wore puttees a small green alpine hat which was well pulled over his forehead wide loose trousers which were made of a kind of hard velveteen or so-called corduroy or manchester cloth and a jacket to match this was behung with all kinds of belts and leather contraptions for he carried a rucksack strapped to his back and a gun which also hung from a strap or it would be more proper to say that he had carried this for scarcely had he come into view than he drew the weapon towards him and leaning his cheek aslant against the butt raised the barrel obliquely towards the heavens he had set one beputtied leg in front of the other the barrel rested in the hollow of his extended left hand with the elbow bent under this the other elbow however that of the right arm the hand of which rested on the trigger was extended very sharply towards the side it revealed his face with squinting aiming eye much foreshortened and boldly exposed to the clear light of the skies there was something most decidedly operatic in this apparition of the man as he stood reared against the skies amidst this open-air scenery of bushes river and sky our intense and respectful regard however endured for only a moment then there came the dull flat report from over yonder something which i had attended with great inner tension and which therefore caused me to start a tiny jet of light pale in the broad of day blazed forth at the same time and was followed by a tiny cloudlet of smoke that puffed after it the man then inclined himself forward and once more his attitude and his action were reminiscent of the opera and with the gun hanging from the strap which he clutched in his right fist he raised his face towards the sky something was going on up there whither we too were now staring there was a brief confused scattering the triangle of ducks flew apart a wild panic-stricken fluttering ensued as when a puff of wind sets loose sails a-snapping 
an attempt at a glide as of an aeroplane followed then suddenly the body which had been struck became a mere inanimate object and fell swift as a stone upon the surface of the water near the opposite bank this was only the first half of the proceedings but i must interrupt my narrative here in order to turn the living light of my memory upon bashan there are a number of coined phrases and ready-made figures of speech which i might use for describing his behaviour current terms terms which in most cases would be both valid and appropriate i might say for example that he was thunderstruck but this term does not please me and i do not wish to use it big words the big well-worn words are not very suitable for expressing the extraordinary one may best achieve this by intensifying the small words and forcing them to ascend to the very acme of their meaning so i will say no more than that bashan started at the report of the gun and the accompanying phenomena and that this starting was the same as that which is peculiar to him when confronted with something striking and that all this was well known to me though it was now elevated to the nth degree it was a start which flung his whole body backward wobbling to right and left a start which jerked his head in rash recoil against his chest and which in recovering himself almost tore his head from his shoulders a start which seemed to cry from every fibre of his being what 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 was that hold in the name of a hundred thousand devils how was that he listened too he regarded everything with a kind of indignation such as extremes of surprise are apt to cause drank everything in as it were and there in his heart of hearts these things were already existing there in some form or other they had always been no matter what astounding novelties may have been sprung upon him here yes whenever these things came upon him causing him to leap to the right and the left and turn himself half round his own axis it always seemed to me as though he were attempting to catch a glimpse of himself and inquiring what am i who am i am i really i at the very moment in which the corpse of the duck fell upon the water bashan made a leap forward towards the edge of the escarpment as though he wished to go down into the river-bed and plunge himself into the water but then he thought of the current clamped the brakes upon this sudden impulse grew ashamed and once more confined his efforts to staring i regarded him with anxiety after the fall of the duck i was of the opinion that we had seen enough and proposed that we should go on but he had already sat himself down upon his haunches his face with ears erected to their utmost extent was addressed towards the other bank and when i said to him well bashan shall we go on he merely gave a flirt of his head in my direction as though one should say not without a certain rudeness these do not disturb me and kept on looking and so i gave in crossed my feet leaned on my stick and also went on watching to see what might now take place the duck one of those very ducks which had so often in impudent security rocked itself on the water before our very noses was driving on the water a wreck no one could tell which part of the bird was bow and which stern the river is quieter here the fall is not so great as farther upstream nevertheless the carcass of the duck had been seized at once by the current 
whirled about its axis and was beginning to float off it was clear that if our good man was not merely concerned with having made a good pot shot and a killing but also with a more practical purpose then he would be obliged to put his best leg forward this he did without losing a moment everything happened with immense rapidity no sooner had the duck landed in the water than the man leaped scrambled almost tumbled down the escarpment he carried the shotgun in his outstretched arm and once more i was reminded of the opera and the romantic novel as he went leaping down over the stage-like setting of the stone slope like some robber chieftain or smuggler bold in a melodrama with careful calculation he kept a little to the right in an oblique direction for the drifting duck was being carried away from him and it was necessary to head it off this he actually succeeded in doing with the butt of his double-barrel gun extending this towards his kill with his body bent far forward and with his feet in the water he managed to halt it in its downward course and then carefully and not without much effort he steered and piloted it against the stones with the guiding gun butt and so drew it ashore the job was done and the man drew a breath of relief he laid his gun upon the bank beside him pulled his rucksack from his shoulder stuffed his booty into it drew the sack shut by its cords slung it upon his shoulders then supporting himself on his gun as on a cane and thus pleasantly laden he climbed complacently up the loose stone of the slope and made for the cupboard well he's got his bit of roast game for to-morrow i thought approvingly yet not without envy come bashan let's go there's really nothing more to see but bashan simply stood up and turned himself once around himself then sat down and stared after the man even after he had already left the scene of action and vanished among the bushes i did not again ask him to come along i refused to do this as a matter of principle he knew where we were living and if he thought it reasonable to sit here still longer and stare after everything was over and there was absolutely nothing more to see well that was his own affair it was a long way back and i for my part was going to return and then at last he gave ear and came during this exceedingly painful journey homeward bashan refrained from all further inclination to indulge in the sport of the chase he did not canter on ahead of me in a diagonal direction as was his wont when he was not in the right mood for trailing and beating up the game he walked a little behind me keeping regular step and drew down his mouth in a way which i would be bound to notice when i turned around to look at him this might have been tolerated and i was not going to let it ruffle or upset me on the contrary i was disposed to laugh and shrug my shoulders but then every thirty or fifty steps he began to yawn and it was this which embittered me it was this shameless wide-angle rudely bored yawning accompanied by a little piping guttural sound which clearly said my god talk about a master why he isn't a master at all he's simply rotten this insulting sound nearly always disturbs me but this time it was sufficient to shake our friendship to its very foundations go i said go away go to your master the man with the thunderclub and join up with him he does not appear to own a dog and so he might give you a job 
he may need you in that business of his he is of course only a plain man in corduroys and no particular class but in your eyes no doubt he is the finest gentleman in the world a real master for you so i honestly advise you to go and make up to him now that he has put a flea in your ear to keep the others company yes i went to such extremes as this we need not inquire whether he has a hunting permit or not and it's quite possible that you might get into difficulties when you happen to be caught some fine day whilst engaged in your shady work but then that is your business and the advice which i have given you is as i have already remarked most sincere the devil take your hunting i went on did you ever bring me a single rabbit for our table out of all those which i permitted you to chase is it my fault that you don't know how to do a quick turn and go pounding into the gravel with your nose like a fool at the very moment you should be showing your agility or have you ever brought me a pheasant which would have been just as welcome in these lean times and now you are yawning go to that fellow with the puttees i say you will soon see whether he is the sort of man who will scratch your throat and get you to laugh i'd be surprised if he can laugh himself at best i am sure his laugh must be a very coarse one perhaps you are under the impression that he would call in the aid of science and permit you to be observed in case you decide to have occult hemorrhages perhaps you are under the delusion that once you were his dog you would also have a chance to be nervous and anemic if so you had better go to him and yet it is possible that you are making a great mistake with regard to the degree of respect which this kind of master would display towards you there are for example certain fine points and differences for which such gun-bearing persons have a very sharp nose natural merits or demerits or to make my allusions clearer very awkward questions concerning pedigree and breed if i must express myself with superlative clearness then i must say that these are things which not everybody is disposed to ignore with that delicacy and humanity to which you have been accustomed and should your husky master upon your first difference of opinion with him reproach you with that goatee of yours and call you an unpleasant name then think of me and of the words which i am now addressing to you it was in such bitter irony that i spoke to bashan as he slunk behind me on the way home and even though i spoke inwardly and did not permit my words to be heard so as not to appear eccentric i am nevertheless convinced that he understood perfectly well what i meant and that he was capable of following at least the main line of my argument in short the quarrel was serious and having reached home i purposely let the garden gate fall to close behind me and he was forced to run and clamber over the fence without casting a single glance behind me i went into the house and heard him give a squeak as a sign that he had prodded his belly on one of the pointed pickets something which merely produced a mocking shrug of the shoulders on my part but all this happened long ago more than half a year ago and the same thing occurred as in the matter of the clinical interim time and oblivion have buried it deep and upon the floating surface of these which constitute the base of all life 
we continue to live on fashion to be sure appeared to be rather contemplative for a few days but he has long ago recovered his full and undiminished joy in hunting mice pheasants rabbits and waterfowl and our return home means to him merely attendance upon the next going forth whenever i reach my front door i turn round and face him once more and that is the signal for him to come jumping up the steps in two great leaps in order that he may raise himself on his hind legs and stem his forepaws against the front door so that i can pat his shoulder and say good-bye to-morrow bashan i remark we'll go out again in case i don't have to make a trip into the big outside world and then i hurry into the house to rid myself of my hobnailed boots for the soup has been served and stands smoking on the table end of chapter five part three end of bashan and i by thomas mann translated by herman george schoeffer